Live from Chatterbox Sports Studios, it's Off the Bench with Tom Brenneman. Well, good morning, good morning, and a good Wednesday morning to you. Welcome to Off the Bench, presented by United Dairy Farmers. Today is Wednesday. I don't know why. Something just clicked in my mind that it was Tuesday again. Hmm. Groundhog Day. We come your way Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. to noon Eastern time. You can join us and find us on YouTube slash Chatterbox Sports. We ask that you please subscribe. We're finding out that uh, somewhere in the 70 percentile uh, of those of you watching are not subscribing. So please do. Uh, If you prefer to join us in podcast form, Wherever you find your podcast, Google, Apple, Spotify, wherever, search Off the Bench with Tom Brenneman, and you are dialed in. Well, tensions were high indeed for yesterday's showdown in the World Cup between the United States and Iran. To advance to the next round, the knockout round, they call it, the U.S. had to win the game. No tie. And when they did, Christian Pulisic, headed in a cross in the 38th minute to break a scoreless tie. And the Americans' defense, as it's been during this entire opening round, was simply amazing, especially during a very exciting final five minutes of play. Next up for the United States, the round of 16. It begins Saturday morning in a match from the A-group champions, the Netherlands. A win in that one would send the United States to the quarterfinals where it's not been since 2002. Gentlemen, how was the watch party? I assume you guys went, or am I wrong? Yeah, we did. It was great. It was a lot of fun. The game was exhilarating. We were, Casey, Trace, and I, one of Casey's friends was there too. We were dying those last 15, 20 minutes. Yeah, we were struggling a bit. We were struggling a bit. I, I think when we saw the extra time at nine minutes, we all just let out a huge gasp of air, like, oh, God, yeah, come on. You know, that's something they have to fix, don't they, in all seriousness? We kid around a lot about soccer and that kind of thing here recently, but but that extra time thing, you've got to know exactly how much time is left. Yeah, the extra time thing is something that a lot of people complain about because it's so arbitrary sometimes when, especially when you get into extra time and guys are falling down, and sometimes it – it leaves a lot to be desired. But, yeah, the, as soon as you knew that uh, the United States was was parking the bus, as they say, where they were just bringing everybody back, and they brought in Walker Zimmerman, who's a defenseman, um, it, you know, you, you, you bring in some of these guys. I said defenseman. You bring in some of these guys that, uh, that are just in there to, to try and make sure that Iran wasn't scoring, and, and we were just praying that they hold on. And, boy. They, they had a few opportunities where it was – this now, close. Yeah. I, I watched the last 10 minutes. It, it, was, it was amazing. And um, the defense allows one goal in three games. And it wasn't even in the run of play. It was a penalty. They didn't allow a single goal in the run of play in the entire group stage. That's, That's getting it really done. That's crazy. That is getting it done. American defense. Bar none. Bar none. Militarily or on the soccer field. In foot the pitch, thank you. In football <laughs> news, the new college football playoff rankings unveiled last night. No surprise, we talked about it. One through four, Georgia, Michigan, TCU, all unbeaten and once beaten USC. The drama came down to who would be the number five team, and that goes to Ohio State. 
The Buckeyes, as you know, lost for the first time last Saturday against rival Michigan. Alabama, with two losses, sits at number six. Rounding out the top ten, Tennessee, Penn State, Clemson, and Kansas State. And by far the biggest and best championship game of the conference championship games this weekend, at least on paper, is going to be the Big 12 game. Between undefeated TCU, ranked number three, and number 10, Kansas State, TCU beat them early in the year, but Kansas State has been rolling of late. College basketball, UC plays tonight against something called the New Jersey Institute of Technology. The Bearcats are four and three. Xavier back at it as well, hosting something called Southeastern Louisiana at the Centos Center. The Muskies trying to go to five and three, leading up to Saturday's clash with West Virginia. And speaking of West Virginia, our big interview today, none other than Basketball Hall of Fame coach Bob Huggins. He will be here at 11 o'clock today. We're going to talk about growing up as the son of a legendary basketball coach in Ohio, his playing career, coaching career. Did it have to end at Cincinnati? And what about his West Virginia team this year? Paul, you saw him over the weekend, 6-1 and one on the year. They look good. They look very good. What do you think about that matchup Saturday? Oh, it's it's going to be great. I'm really looking forward to it. Xavier needs a big win. Xavier needs to win this game. West Virginia could use a big road win, just trying to build that non-conference resume. So, yeah, it's going to be a real good one. I, what, what, what's West Virginia's strength? I mean, we'll hear it from Hugs. Normally, his style of play is defense and rebounding and rugged. Are they that kind of team? This yeah, year they're or they, different. They're not the the press Virginia team that we've seen before. He's he's kind of modified that style. But yeah, it, it's a team that's they, they play a little faster than they have before. A little better on offense than they are on on or uh, sorry, a little better on defense than they are on offense. But that's just a trademark. Huggy team, right? A, a team that's going to wear you down, kind of grind you down, play good defense, but they can score. They've scored at least 80 points in their last uh, three of their last four games. That one exception there was Purdue. They lost 80 to 68, but Purdue's a buzzsaw. So uh, Purdue, I don't know how much to read uh, into that. Leveled Duke, and speaking of Duke, now ranked number 17. Interesting game tonight in that uh, ACC Big Ten Challenge. Uh, Ohio State is off to a great start in basketball. They're now ranked 25th in the country. They've only lost one time. Uh, and they take on Duke. And we mentioned earlier, Duke destroyed by that Purdue team over the weekend. Yeah, they didn't score for the final. I walked into the arena with about eight minutes left. I saw Duke, I think, score one time. And then they did not score, not even a free throw, for the final seven minutes of the game. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You were in the arena and you did not walk in? the arena until the last seven. No, 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 no. I'm saying I when I walked in, there was about eight minutes left in the game, and I didn't see Duke score. That's what I'm saying. So what were you doing instead of watching the entire Purdue-Duke game? I, was, I had to check out of the hotel. I, was, I had to get over there. And it was still like almost three hours until the Xavier game. Because then I had to – I, I, I got you. Then I didn't have to, but That's North right. Carolina, four overtimes. Ooh. North Carolina, by the way, at Indiana tonight, Assembly Hall. That's really? a big one. Yeah. That's a big we'll game. have to ask Marty Brenneman about that. Yeah. North Carolina alum. He's coming up here in just a couple of minutes. Yeah. Your guy, Casey. My guy. Casey, My are guy. you paying any, any attention to the fighting leprechauns? I have been, um, but I haven't this week. Mm. And so I haven't so been. So you really haven't. I haven't been. Uh, <laughs> I haven't been a very good, loyal fan like I should be. But uh, if you let me, tough here, loss to the Bonnies. Tough what? loss. They lost. Tough loss to the bon St. Bonaventure. Yeah, tough loss last Friday. Twelve point loss. 
that is depressing. Yeah. So what what uh, what's the record of the fighting leprechauns? They are five and one. Yeah, they were undefeated. But last time I checked. they haven't beaten a team ranked higher than 161st. Yeah, that that's why I hadn't really been like super focused in. I they got Michigan State tonight. Michigan State that's tonight. A that's a game. huge game. That's a big game. That's something I'll pay attention to. There you go. Tune hey, in, Casey. Hey, by the way, I just noticed. Look who's back in the chat room today. Who? Oh. We asked about him yesterday. Trace Fowler asked about Sir Boy Wonder. We thought he had gone into permanent hiding after his beloved Buckeyes. And, and I would bet that Sir Boy Wonder was there. He might even be a season ticket holder. Uh, he's always posting pictures at the game and that kind of thing. And uh, probably pretty depressed uh, after that loss to Michigan. Which, by the way, um, and, and look, I know I bring up uh, the website all the time. I'm not paid by these guys. I pay for it myself. Uh, speaking of Ohio State, there is an, a fascinating article written today. Do you have that in front of you, Paul, by chance? Uh, yeah. Who here, was the author of that article? Uh, it was, let me find his last name, Joe Rexroad. Okay. Apparently, he was a beat writer. Um, covering Ohio State, and now a big national football guy. Um, and he makes the argument that Ohio State right now should go hire Mike Vrabel right now. He said there are a lot of guys out there that could go 45-5 and five at Ohio State. But now all of a sudden, Jim Harbaugh, the upper hand on this thing the last couple of years, and uh, he, he chronicles going back to when Vrabel was an assistant for Urban Meyer. Uh, it, it's a really interesting piece if you have the athletic. If you don't, then uh, just take our word for it. All right. We are joined by the Hall of Famer. Long time Reds radio voice happens to be my father, Marty Brenneman. Uh, you are back in Cincinnati after a drive up from North Carolina. So apparently all went well, thank God, right? Yeah, we had a great day to travel. The weather was beautiful. And, uh, yeah, we got back home about, I don't know, 6 o'clock, 6.15 last night. Nice drive. No no problem. Good to hear. Um, yeah. Paul, Paul, you wanted to ask my dad about the Batland Tar Heels. Yeah, Marty, I was in Portland this weekend. I was there at the four-overtime game against uh, Alabama. I'm just curious if you watched that game, what you thought about it. It was not exactly the prettiest game. I know it went to four overtimes and it was exciting, but it was an ugly, ugly game. It was a terrible game. I watched the whole thing, all four overtimes uh, from Carolina, and uh, I've you know I've got some questions. I I, I questioned some of the uh, the coaching of, of Hubert Brown and, uh, and uh, Hubert Davis in that game. Uh, the fact that. Uh, 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 Caleb Love shot 36 times and made 13 of them. As somebody tweeted, uh, what must Michael Jordan think today when a Carolina player shot the ball 36 times and on top of that made only 13 of them? Um, their, their shot selection in all four of the overtimes were absolutely brutal. I mean, they settled for the three-point goal, and I understand that uh, Armando Baycott got hurt and was pretty much uh, – unusable for the last I don't know two or two and a half overtimes that he was not on the floor and that certainly hurt him but they didn't even attempt to get the ball inside most of the time down the floor and as uh, they shot well early in the game then they they uh, they couldn't make a shot and you know Alabama's got a good team they came in 18th ranked in the country so they didn't lose to a bad ball club but at the same time Carolina's got some major problems they can't defend the three 
or they don't defend the three. I think uh, Alabama made 16 three-point goals in that game. One player made seven of them. Um, so they've got some problems. I still think they're a very good team. I still think they're going to challenge for the national championship. But they're following the same path right now that they did last year. Although last year they didn't have as good a team, I don't think, on paper at least, as they have now. They didn't get they didn't kick things into gear last year until well after the first of the year, and we all know they ended up in the championship game losing to Kansas. I want to ask you about North Carolina's big rival, John Shire and the Duke Blue Devils. Yeah. Uh, I can't imagine there is, uh, or in, in recent times in any sport, uh, Mike Krzyzewski is the all-time winningest uh, coach in the history of college basketball, uh, considered to be, some might say, the greatest coach in basketball of all time. Pro, That's college, me. high school. Yep. I mean, it'd be That's hard me. to argue that. Um, yeah. But, you know, uh, Shire coming in, um, what are your thoughts? I know it's early, and they, they've stubbed their toe a couple of times. They have a big game tonight against a, a vastly improved Ohio State team, uh, although yes. they are at home. So, you know, you figure that they normally win at Cameron. But, you know, what are you hearing from people down in North Carolina of, about the early going under Shire? I think the, the general feeling in, in the state is that they're very, very pleased with John Shire, uh, despite the fact they lost a couple of games early. Uh, which normally is is unduke like, but at the same time, uh, I think they're very happy with the choice that uh, the Duke Athletic Department made, and 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 certainly with uh, with the incredible endorsement from Mike Shashevsky. Uh So I don't think they have any problem at all. He is an incredibly good recruiter, and has been from the day that that uh, Coach K hired him to uh, work on his staff. He's one of the great recruiters in college basketball, and it's already been borne out because of the uh, the recruitments that he's made uh, coming in, uh, came in this year, coming in next year, and even beyond next year in 2024. Um, so I don't think they have any problem at all with him. I don't know. I'm sure that Duke fans are like Carolina fans, that sometimes they're, they're – feeling of, of winning a national championship may be unrealistic, but I think that's true with a lot of clubs, a lot of teams in the country. I, I don't know that they're that good, uh, that they can win a national championship, but if they aren't, they won't be too far away from challenging. Uh, if they don't do it in 2023, then they will certainly do it beyond that. So I don't think they have a problem at all with John Shire. Um, I would imagine that there were some candidates that other people would like to have seen maybe gotten the job. But, you know, when you get the endorsement of the man himself and, and uh, the endorsement was unqualified, uh, Mike uh, had no hesitancy at all in, in, in going to bat for John Shire as his, uh, as his successor. So I think they're all happy with him. I don't know how happy they are with your guy, Cal, down there in Lexington right now. I mean, you're dialed into that old thing, too, down in the Bluegrass State. Um, they got a lot of talent. Uh, and normally his teams, it takes a little while to get them all together. I still think the guy's going to get it together. But right now, he's hearing it a little bit. Well, I mean, that's the nature of the Kentucky fan. You know, they, uh, they're they not unlike Ohio State football fans in that they expect to win a national championship every year. Uh, talk about unrealistic now. That's two schools that are totally off the charts when it comes to thinking what their school can do when maybe in reality they ain't going to do it. 
But I, I, I've said it for the last few weeks, and I'll say it again. I think he's got too much talent um, to to not get their act together. Last night was brutal. Uh, they they pulled away in the second half, but I think with like four or five minutes, four minutes to go in the, in the first half, it was 21-21, uh, UK and Bellarmine. Um, and then they end up winning 60 to 41. Uh, I, so I think they'll, they, I think they'll get it together. I, I don't know why a club with that kind of talent and with probably the, the, the best big man in the country, he was voted such last year and he may well be voted that way again this year. Uh, but they, just like all the rest of these teams that we've talked to Carolina and, and Duke and, and, uh, uh, some of the other teams, uh, have yet to really kick things into gear. And I think if you've got the talent and you've got the coaching, then you're going to be fine. Well, speaking of coaching, you may have heard, you may not have heard, uh, Wednesdays we do what's called the big interview. And today Correct. we have Huggy Bear. Bob Huggins will be joining us today. And, and look, um, you know, you obviously were around here, been around here for all, you know, over 50 years now. Uh, and uh, there have been no brighter days, uh, more times than not, for the local college basketball scene, and in particular at UC, than the days when he was there running a show. He is now third on the all-time wins list. He just passed Jim Calhoun, trailing only Mike Krzyzewski and Jim Beheim. That is amazing. Well, I, 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 nobody can dispute the fact he's one of the great coaches in college basketball history. Um, and, and I think the fact that he's finally gotten his just due by being named to the Hall of Fame, uh, I think is long overdue. Uh, it's finally come to fruition. Um, and and I, there's so many people happy for the way things have turned out for him. Uh, the job he did here in UC, at UC, the job he's done at West Virginia. Um, I just think the guy's a great coach. Uh, I, I think he recruits kids that if they don't play defense, they don't play. And I don't know that there are that many coaches in the country to put the emphasis on that end of the floor like he does. Um, and yet, let's face it now, Tom, when you talk about coaching at West Virginia as opposed to coaching at Kentucky or Carolina or Duke uh, or Kansas or schools like that, uh, you're not year in and year out getting the players that those schools get. And so the job he's done it has become even more impressive uh, because of that fact. Uh, I think it's probably all things being equal. Let's face it, it might be a little bit easier to get a kid to go to Lexington, Kentucky, or Chapel Hill, North Carolina, or Lawrence, Kansas, than it is to Morgantown, West Virginia. And, and I think the job he's done um, is just off the charts. And uh, I, I've been a big fan uh, for a lot of years of Bob Huggins, even though he hit me in the leg with a golf ball one day and I thought I was going to die. Um, <laughs> Uh, I've been able to overcome that, and uh, and I, I'm just I'm thrilled to death that one. I, I hope he's healthy, um, and I know he still enjoys doing what he's doing. And if he enjoys it as much now as he did then, then keep right on going. Um, shifting gears to Reds Fest, uh, you'll yes. be down there front and center. I mean, you're still the guy, the Grand Poobah down there when they launch this thing no, on not. Friday. What are your obligations for this thing? No, I'm not. I, I've got certain things to do for the Reds Hall of Fame and uh, and visiting with uh, season ticket holders and 
my role is not all that big anymore, and that's fine with me. I, you know, I let the let the guys that are doing it now take take center stage with that kind of stuff. But yeah, I'll be down there, um, and it'll be interesting to to see. I think they've made some changes in the way they present the product. I don't know exactly what they are, but I think they have. Um, and so I'm looking forward to uh, to being down there on Friday and Saturday. It's, it used to be a big deal. And hopefully, despite the fact it's been absent for a number of years because of the pandemic and whatever else might be involved, I think it's going to be uh, it's nice to have it back. And it'll be good to see what kind of uh, attraction it is among baseball fans. Um, when, when you when you heard the news yesterday, and, and and you're on the inside, maybe you heard about it before the rest of us heard about it. We know that Bronson Arroyo is going into the Reds Hall of Fame, uh, but yes. you know, a guy you've had a chance to work a little bit with, and obviously you broadcast a team when he was a pitcher here, the all-time saves leader in the history of the Cincinnati Reds franchise. Uh, I don't know how anybody couldn't be just absolutely thrilled to death for Danny Graves. I texted him last night. Um... I, I I talk about Danny Graves with great prejudice because I he's one of my favorite people to ever put on a Reds uniform. Uh, he's a young man who overcame a lot, um, and and he's he's a great family man, uh, and 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 is deserving. I mean, if you're going to have a guy that's an all-time leader in anything, uh, as far as your club is concerned, that at some point in time he needs to be uh, in your Hall of Fame. And I, I tip my cap to those who were responsible for coming to that decision and also the decision to put Gabe Paul in. Uh, you know, Gabe Paul was a, a, an executive with this club many, many, many years ago and uh, had, had great success and then became even greater success uh, in a similar capacity for many years under George Steinbrenner with the New York Yankees. And so I, I think Danny going in, is really going to make it a nice a nice weekend uh, along with uh, Bronson. Uh, you're talking Bronson Arroyo, probably one of the all-time top 10 favorite players in the history of the franchise. And so I think it's good. I, I think Danny is rewarded for a job well done, and I know uh, it's going to be wonderful for he and his family to come in Cincinnati and be honored in the way he's going to be. Well, I was going to follow it up uh, when you said it. What exactly are your responsibilities for Reds Fest? I mean, are you just shaking hands and, and having a cocktail, or signing autographs? Well, what are you doing? I'm good at both of them. I'm good at both of them, shaking hands and having a cocktail. Um, I, uh, yeah, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure I'm going to be introduced along with the other Hall of Famers uh, yeah. on Friday night. And I mean, all the big guys are coming, right? I mean, they normally always show up for this thing. It's, most it, of it, them show up, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah most of them show up. My, my, my boy Jack Billingham's going to be here, and that makes it really big. Um, uh, but it's I'll be shaking hands with season ticket holders and sponsors, and uh, I'm doing some stuff for the Reds Hall of Fame, both Friday and Saturday. Uh, they are in the process of they've already got them printed, and I've signed them. Of, of big games in in my in my run of 46 years as a broadcaster with the Reds, and they are pages out of my scorebooks, and they photos. I don't know how they do this, but it's really kind of cool. And the first one that they're going to be putting for up for sale uh, is uh, my first game that I ever did, the Aaron home run. And 74, and the last game I did on September 26th, uh, 
2019. They're going to be grouped together uh, on a poster, and they're selling them to the fans. And then they've got other games coming up uh, over the months to come. You know, uh, Pete's record-breaking hit, my actual scorecard uh, replicated. Uh, Tom Seaver's no-hitter, Browning's perfect game, Jay Bruce's home run, uh, just a whole bunch of things that they're going to be uh, putting up for sale uh, down the road. But the first one, as I say, will be game one and my last game with the club, and they'll be on sale uh, Friday and Saturday. That's a great idea. What, a very good idea. What do you do with all that stuff? I mean, forget the photocopy stuff, but I'm talking about, you know, like the, the originals and your scorebooks and all the things through the years. Obviously, a lot of the pictures you have there in the background and your, your, your basement has hundreds uh, of photographs through the years. But, you know, I, I mean, is that stuff just sitting around collecting dust? If people try to buy it from you, offer to buy it from you, that kind of thing? Uh, yeah. Uh, and I've got all the scorebooks of every game I've ever done. And, and that's a lot of scorebooks. Um, and I, I've offered them down the road if the day ever comes, if the Hall of Fame wants them. Uh, I'll be happy to give them to them. Uh, they can do whatever they want to with them, display whatever the case might be. Um, but, no, I've got all that stuff in boxes. Uh, and, and finally, I was able to do a pretty good job of putting them all together because I'm not the most organized person in the world, thank God for Amanda. Um, because when Rick Walls came up with the idea, I had to go find all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And I was fortunate enough to come up with all of it. And so, you know, I don't know what will eventually happen to all those books, but uh, it's kind of fun to go back and look through them, you know, go by. And periodically I would do that. I'd go back to look in the late 70s and then go into the 80s and, and just go page after page and look at some of the games that uh, the Reds played and, uh, thank God I still have all those books rather than throwing them away or giving them away, whatever the case might be. Ham and Eggers, anything for Mr. Brenneman here today? Casey, Paul, uh, the Dunce, Brandon Seho over there in the corner again. <laughs> Fellas, anything for Marty Brenneman? No. Um, I'm sorry about Are last you? week, uh, the, the, uh, the connection issue that we had. I wish we could have figured that out. Um, but it wor it's I working wasn't last right week. Or the week before, yeah, two week weeks before. ago. I mean, it's working great Casey, now. Casey, you, you're late to the party. That was two weeks ago. <laughs> um, and we've gotten you know through all that. Paul, anything? No, I just enjoyed talking Paul. college. I enjoyed talking college basketball with you, Marty. Well, I appreciate that, Paul. I, uh, I, I got to be honest with you. I've been pretty impressed early with what uh, Sean Miller and the Muskies have done. I, even though they've lost some games, uh, they got a nice basketball team and uh, you know, they played, what was it, Gonzaga? They played them right to the uh, to the hilt. Yeah. Um, so I think they're going to have a really nice season. I really do. Paul was out there at that entire tournament covering it for Xavier and for the Big East. So he got to see all those heavyweights out there and to prove what a gamer he is. He flew yeah. on the Xavier Charter back, a red eye, landed, got in his car, Drove from CVG all the way up here to downtown Hamilton, Ohio, to be on the program. Wow. How about that? Oh, you're a gamer. <laughs> gamer. It was a you're big a weekend. gamer, man. It was a big weekend. Hey, I did, wasn't going to miss it. Hey, did you get Phil Knight's autograph? <laughs> I saw him down there, but uh, Phil Phil was moving a little slow. He was, he, was, he was down there in the front row enjoying his time. I wasn't bothering our guy, Phil. Well, 80, hey, Phil's older than I am. 
Yeah. So, and I'm older than Mud, but Phil's older than I am. Yeah. Hey, yeah. Uh, before yeah. we let you go, you know, we had Tracy yesterday. I don't know if you yes. saw any of it or heard any of it. No. Uh, he was talking about how he's been invited. As you know, he played for five major league teams. He's been invited right. to Giants Fest, <laughs> to Mariners Fest, to Tigers Fest. They don't have a Montreal Fest. Right. Um, and, and, you know, he, he's just perplexed, disappointed, saddened that he will not be at Reds Fest this weekend. I, I can't imagine what he might have done to make somebody mad. I don't uh, – because Tracy's not of that ilk. He doesn't do or say things to make people mad. So I, I cannot imagine what the what the reluctance is to have him be a part of uh, Red's Fest or, for that matter, um, uh, you know, caravan thing. Uh, I'm, I'm just I'm I'm surprised, especially when he's been invited by all the other clubs he played for, uh, and given the fact that this team's the first team that whose organization he came up in. I don't know uh, if he's so telling can, the full truth on that. Oh, I'd be stunned if he was doing anything but telling the truth. You know, he did. <laughs> the one <laughs> I, final I would, comment he did make um, was um, he said he's actually going to the Bengals game this week. Uh, so am I. How about that? See, the big leaguers show so up when Kansas City comes to town. But he says he no. grew up a Kansas City Chiefs fan in Southern California. Uh, I don't you know, believe that. Family would watch, you know, Len Dawson and all these guys. He was breaking out some names now where you knew what he was talking about. Not just the, the monster guys, but some other players. But he said for the tailgate, which he has really, you know, looked down his nose as he can from time to time at folks who get out there and tailgate before the games. But he right. shared with us that he was going to wear his Montreal Expos number 24 jersey to the tailgate and asked our thoughts on that. You have any opinion on that? What's the significance of that? <laughs> What's the significance of anything he says? Well, I mean, maybe 24 would be a number of a former Kansas City Chiefs great player, and he wore 24 with Montreal, so he thought that would be somehow fitting. Uh, that's the only reason I asked that question. I think to just arbitrarily wear his former jersey with the Expos uh, is the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. I don't, I don't <laughs> quite understand what he hopes to gain by that. I mean, I, you know, but we all know that Tracy can be a little bit different at times. So uh, God bless him, and if he's there and I can, if we, we cross paths, I believe me, I will take a picture of it. You can also count on it being on Instagram. Uh, book that. Book Fair that. enough. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. Well, enjoy the game on Sunday. It's a big-time game. Yes, it is. Uh, the way the Bengalis are playing right now and Joe's got things going, um, it's going uh, to be a whale of a football game, I would think. Can't wait for that one. 425 right here in Cincinnati on Sunday. Rematch of the AFC Correct. Championship game. All right, Dad. Thanks. Welcome home. All right, buddy. And we'll nice talk to be to you back soon. with you guys. Tell the uh, Hammondaggers I said have a good week, and I look forward to being back with you next week. All right. All, All right. right. Marty. Thank All you. Right. Thanks, Marty. All right, talk guys. to you later. Good All talking right. with you. Take care.
All right, Marty Brenneman, kind enough to join us. Reds Fest kicking off this weekend. That'll be Friday and Saturday. They normally, now I've not looked at the schedule for this year, but but in, in years past, it, it basically gets underway in the afternoon on Friday. Uh, they kick everything off with a huge, um, you know, they, they really do a great job on that thing. Uh, you know, the, the, the turnout's going to be interesting. I got to be honest. Uh, you know, everybody knows the issues a franchise is having on the field. Um, it appears as though uh, the payroll is coming down again. Um, they've already traded away, you know, I think after Joey Votto, if I'm not mistaken, I think the guy who was supposed to make the second most money on the team this year uh, was Kyle Farmer, I think. Uh, he's since been traded uh, or, or could have made coming into this year going to arbitration. Uh, they were talking somewhere in the 6 or $7 million range. What kind of turnout, Paul, do you think they get for that this weekend? Yeah, I was thinking about that as you guys were talking about it because the one thing that the Reds are always good at is feeding off the nostalgia, and that's the one thing that the Reds, they, they just consistently do when they've lost games. They go back to what they've always done and the history of the franchise and what they know they can be. Everybody always talks about Cincinnati being a baseball town and how important the history of the Reds are. And when you get an event like this, that you've let the season settle, right? And and maybe the losing isn't as fresh on everybody's mind as if they had just watched the Reds lose 10 games in a row from the night before during the middle of the season. So you're in the winter. People are looking for something to do around baseball. And you get the guys that bring back the good memories of when the Reds were good. But all that being said, I don't know. What what is the turnout for the Reds Fest this weekend? Because if it's bad, if if an if an event like this with so many big names from the history of the Reds franchise, if you can't get a a good turnout for something like this in the off season to try to stir up any kind of excitement, ah, it's not a good look. What what were numbers usually like? You know, I, I'm trying to remember. I, I thought they were somewhere, and I, I, I'm sure I'm wrong on this, but I, I thought they were somewhere like around nine, ten thousand 10,000 in the past. Does that sound about right? Yeah. Uh, Sir Boy Wonder says no more than 8,000 each day. I don't know if he's talking about in the history or Okay, you know, I, I think Sir Boy Wonder's right because I know he, he's already said in the uh, chat that he is going to be down there uh, and said he looks forward to seeing Marty. Um, yeah, I, I, that's probably about right. In Probably 2019, about, uh, about 17,000 people attended the entire weekend of events. Yeah, okay. So roughly eight. Yeah, eight or nine thousand. Eight and a half. Yeah. Um, and 2019, that was the last year they or did they had it in 20, didn't they? Or did they cancel it in 20? There's no way they would have had it in 20, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. No. You're right. Yeah. 2019. Is this the first one since 19? I think it is. Because they yeah. didn't have it in 20. Yeah, and they've not had the caravan the last couple of years. Uh, I'm assuming, I mean, I, I don't know why you wouldn't. You're, you're going to bring back, obviously, Reds Fest. Um, I, I, last I heard, there was debate about the caravan, um, whether they could pull that off or not. And then their, uh, their huge event, of course, is the Reds Hall of Fame, which they do every other year. Um, and there's no doubt they're doing this this summer with Gabe Paul Danny Graves, those two announced yesterday, and then, of course, the election of uh, Bronson Arroyo. So at what point with the Reds does the nostalgia wear off, or has well, it already? That's a good question. You know, I, I, there are so many, and Paul Doherty has written about this regularly, about how, you know, the, the 1970s and the big red machine, I mean, man, you know, I'm not telling anybody anything you don't know here. It's in breaking news. 
I mean, that's a long time ago. I mean, all those players are now in their late 70s, early 80s in some cases. Um, you know, the 1990 team still has a lot of guys that come back for this thing. The Eric Davises of the world, Barry Larkin, all those guys will be around here for Reds Fest, I'm assuming. Eric Davis is always around. Um, yeah. I, I mean, you haven't won a World Series since 1990. Uh, we've talked about this before, that, that the last four expansion teams, the last four, you go back to 93 with Colorado and the Marlins. Colorado's played in a World Series. The Marlins have won two World Series. 98, you bring in the Diamondbacks. They've won a World Series. And the Tampa Bay Rays, I think they've been to two World Series. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. And the Reds have not. The Nationals won one. I know it's not expansion, but. Yeah, but a, a team that moved. But, team that you know, moved. Yeah. So, you know, you, I mean, you, you are really reaching into the, uh, the heartstrings tugging on the nostalgia of this franchise as opposed to what has gone on uh, here in recent years. I'm interested to see, and I, I should have looked it up before we went on. I'm interested to see if guys like Jay Bruce are coming back for this. He'd be a great guy to have. He would He's be not a playing great guy. anymore. Great guy, fan favorite, former number one pick. Um, you know, had one of the most historic home runs in the history of the franchise in 2010 against Houston. Uh, it'd be great to have him here. All right, we're going to uh, take a break. When we come back, lots to talk about. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about the U.S. World Cup victory yesterday over Iran. We'll talk about the college football rankings. Lots of intrigue now about some of the things that could happen. What if this happens? What if that happens? Whatever it might be. And then coming up at 11 o'clock today, our big interview, and it's a big interview, Coach Bob Huggins, Basketball Hall of Famer in 2022. We're back on Off the Bench after this. That's Zim Uday. I mean, does it get any better than that guy? Look at him. That's a real fan. It's a real man. I love that guy. He is awesome. And we're going to have him again at the end of the week. You know, we had him to recap the game in Tennessee um, on Monday. But we will have him to help us preview the game uh, on Friday. And, and by the way, what's the fellow's name? Matt Lane? Matt Lane, I think, is his Matt name. Matt Lane, we had him on um, early in the year from Kansas City. Does a great job covering that team. We're hoping to get him back on the program to give us a little preview. Uh, Zim's been going at it back and forth with all the Kansas City fans uh, on Twitter and Instagram, just letting them have it. Calls him right out. Yep. There's a Ace lot of Ace Boogie and Zim, leaders of men. They're not afraid. They'll take on any challenge. They will. Um, Paul, walk, walk me through. Just tie a ribbon around this whole Reds Fest thing. Okay. Walk me through um, some of the guys that as you're flipping through it, maybe yeah. a lot of them aren't coming to mind, but guys uh, that are not going to be there because it was pointed out, um, checking online here, and I got to put on these, these glasses, um, it talked about how, um, you know, the, the Reds um, are not having guys from when they've been most successful here in recent years. Now, Bronson Arroyo's father has had a couple of strokes 
and he's had to go back and forth from Cincinnati down to Florida pretty regularly. So I'm guessing that's the reason um, that he's not going to be there. But it doesn't say anything about Scott Rowland, Jay Bruce. No. Nope. talked a little bit about Brandon Phillips. No. Nope. None of those guys, right? Nope. None of them are on this list. See, that's the only connection that if you're under 50 years old, those are the only guys you can, you know, relate to that have been in uniform when the Reds have had success. The 2010 team, the 12, the 13 teams, um, you know, uh, a couple of those guys are still playing, believe it or not. Aroldis Chapman, among others, but... But, you know, you get the point. I mean, Jay Bruce isn't playing anymore. Scott Rowland retired a number of years ago. Uh, Brandon Phillips has been out of baseball outside of doing the thing. He owns a team down in Lexington and playing a little bit with his brother down there. But, I mean, none of those guys, right? Or any of them. No, no, none of them. And it's funny when I I look back at my time in college here. I, I was a freshman in 2015. And I remember that, you know, that's only a couple of years removed from the 2012 yep. run. And you're thinking, okay, well, it's been a couple of years. 13 and 14 were bad. And, you know. Well, 13, they got to a one-game playoff. Yeah, but, but. Things went south after that. Things went south after that. And you're thinking, okay, maybe this is. 14 wasn't terrible. And then you're thinking, okay, well, maybe 15, eh, but by 16, 17, yep. you're, the rebuild's starting to come back. And, and things will be better. And I remember for a lot of my friends that weren't from Cincinnati that were interested in baseball and I love baseball I kept saying oh, you you never seen Cincinnati you never seen a town like Cincinnati when baseball is good like just wait until they're good just wait like it's going to be awesome being around Cincinnati when when the Reds are good just wait I said it freshman year and I said it sophomore year and I said it junior year and by senior year everybody's looking at me and going man we, we never saw it no, and now we're, we're, t- we're seeing 90-plus losses every year. Every year. And and we would go down there, and you'd buy $40 all-you-can-eat seats and sit up in that like club area for 40 bucks and go down there. And You were a college student that could afford a $40 ticket? Well, when it included dinner, yeah. <laughs> you got to think about all the amenities, Tom. Todd Frazier's another guy uh, that's not going to be there. Uh, the player formerly known as, uh, mouse cop, uh, said he can't convince his friends to go to the Reds games anymore. Forget about Reds fest. Um, Sir Boy Wonder continues to maintain that Brandon Phillips is supposedly crashing Reds fest. Hmm. Yeah. I, I just think that now you're to a point where you're, you're 10 years removed basically from the last time the Reds were competing. At a, at a high level, right? They rebuilt for 2020 to not score a run in the playoffs. Yeah, well, and, and, and even that team, if you include the, 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 this two-game sweep or whatever it was in the playoffs um, when they didn't score the run against Atlanta, uh, that team was a 500 team. Yeah. Loaded with talent, that team. And that was a, you know, COVID-shortened year. But, I mean, I, I think their final record that year was 30 and 30. 30 and 30. That's the best you got. Yeah. Mm. All right. Um, one thing that, uh, that jumped out uh, that's all over the internet right now is this whole Deion Sanders thing. Um, head coach at Jackson State, undefeated this year, uh, starting the playoffs. 
because uh, they do have playoffs at that level of, of college football. Um, and uh, reports are that Dion is going to accept one of three jobs. Cincinnati, Colorado, and the University of South Florida. Now you tell me if indeed he has been offered the UC job, and we don't know that. Um, you know, they're, they're, they, they are, I have no doubt, uh, nonstop interviews, because this is something they have said they would like to have completed by the end of this week to replace Luke Fickle. By the way, a number of Fickle's assistant coaches, including defensive coordinator Mike Tressel uh, and others, uh, have already decided they're going with Fickle to Wisconsin. Uh, you know, whoever they name is going to want to come in and bring in their own guys. Apparently, Gino Gadouli, the offensive coordinator, former great UC quarterback, um, is going to get an interview for the head coaching position, as is Kerry Combs on the current staff. Uh, but word on the street, according to Justin Williams from the Enquirer, uh, is that if Gadouli does not get the job, that he too will go to Wisconsin with Luke Fickle. I mean, th th this whole thing is fascinating as to really who's in the mix. Tom Herman, Deion Sanders, Brian Hartline. Um, we know about Combs and Gadouli. Um, uh, there have been rumors about Campbell from Iowa State, Ohio guy, coached for a little while Toledo before he went to uh, Ames, Iowa. Um, you guys have any guess as to how this whole thing shakes out? If you could have any of those guys, who do you take? Any of those guys? Oh, Dion, maybe. Uh, Dion keeps hanging around. I, I, the more and more I think about it, the more and more I'm convinced that Cunningham will not make the move, but that it might not be the worst thing for them to go and get him. <clears throat> yeah. Dion. Dion, yeah. I'm 100% I'm all in on Dion. I think he gives uh, you the best chance to win now and to get ahead of the um i'm sorry the uh not hire process what what am i thinking of recruiting recruiting process yeah Man, yeah, yeah. just blanked yeah. out of my mind yep he will get you ahead of the recruiting process in the big 12 if you get him um people love him he fits in with today's crowd for those kids i mean for crying out loud he got the number one corner last year to go to jackson state think about that he could have gone to alabama to Ohio State. He could have gone anywhere, but yep. he went to Jackson State. Yep. Come on. Coach Dion in Cincinnati would be massive. And I think he gives you the best chance now. Other coaches, I feel like maybe if Dion is not that guy, other coaches like Heartline will give you a better chance later on down the road. You give that guy more time. I don't think Dion has the time. Now, that just depends on what they do for contract situations and whatnot. But I don't know, man. I, I, I believe in Dion. I, I love his character, drive, motivation. I mean. What's the better job, Cincinnati or Colorado? I, I don't think Cincinnati. there's any doubt about it. It's Cincinnati. You know, Colorado, uh, for, for people my age, uh, and I try to explain this to my son. I mean, they are one of the worst college football programs in the country. Of the Power Five, I'm not sure there is another Power Five conference team whose football program is in shambles 
more than Colorado. When I was a kid, and Bill McCarthy, a, a very controversial guy, far right winger, uh, all those kinds of things, but man, did he have it going on. Uh, they won a national championship there. Eric Bieniemy was one of their great stars. They had so many others. They were exciting to watch. I mean, they're, they're kicking Miami's tail. They're kicking Nebraska's tail. They're, they're, and they're playing in the Orange Bowl every year, it seemed like. And, and they had it going on. Um, the campus is just spectacular. Uh, it, it, I'm not so sure you can go to any other college campus in the country and not just be completely blown away. Now, I don't know what their facilities are like. Their stadium is old, kind of tired, kind of like me. Uh, but, um, you know, I don't know what the rest of their facilities are like, but it's just hard to believe. Uh, of all of, and I just mentioned two of the program. I mean, Miami of Florida, what they used to be. Um, Nebraska, what it used to be. Although Matt Rule there now, you know, who knows? Maybe he gets that thing going like he did down at Baylor. Um, and, and what's the third one I'm thinking of that, that was such, oh, a Florida State, looking like maybe for the first time. But those were the juggernauts. Colorado's run not as, as significant or lengthy as Nebraska, Florida State under Bobby Bowden, Nebraska under Tom Osborne and Frank Solich a little bit, and Miami of Florida going all the way back to Howard Schnellenberger and, and Jimmy Johnson and all those guys. But golly, day. Colorado, what a disaster. I, I don't – that would be a major mistake. Yeah, it's turned into a really, really bad situation in Colorado. I think their season total for wins this year was like three and a half, and that was the easiest under of all time. I mean, they you knew that they weren't going to win four games this year. Yep. They were terrible. I mean, they were never even in games this year. Yep. They were, they were embarrassingly bad, which is tough because – I'm just looking at this post here, and apparently six years ago, yesterday, Colorado was ranked eighth in the playoff rankings. Yeah, I mean, it's not that long ago that the yeah, that but the that was were... an outlier. They 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 have not been of any significance. I mean, you're right on that. That's that's a fact. But they have not been uh, of any significance at all for quite a while. Uh, and, and now they're just downright awful. The UC thing has so many good components to it. Um, you know, the Colorado thing is going to be, I mean, what's going to happen with the Pac-12? You know, UCLA and USC are leaving to go to the Big Ten. How's that whole thing going to play out? They're maintaining they're going to keep it together. But if you took the Big Ten and the SEC, they're on a different planet than everybody else. But I would make the argument that even though Texas and Oklahoma are leaving the Big 12 to go to the SEC, I think of all the other conferences you have, um, that the Big 12 is on the best footing after those top two. But, you know, the ACC, some people might argue the ACC, but eh, uh, I think Big 12, especially football, uh, you know, the ACC has been totally, totally dominated by Clemson, uh, and they'll play in the championship game against North Carolina this weekend. Um, I don't understand. No Bob Huggins yet. Uh Yes, he is waiting. I just haven't had a chance to check him yet. So well, I was waiting take for a break. break. Okay, well, let, let's take a break. We'll double check with Bob Huggins. The big interview. Huggy Bear, kind enough to join us right around the corner. Robert Edward Huggins was born in September of 1953. Nickname Huggy Bear. He is currently the head basketball coach at West Virginia University, his alma mater. He previously had stops at Walsh, University of Akron, 
Of course, an incredible run here at the University of Cincinnati. One season at Kansas State, he was inducted into the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame in this year of 2022. He is the third all-time winningest coach in the history of Division I men's college basketball behind only Mike Krzyzewski and Jim Beheim. He's been to the NCAA tournament 24 times, including 23 of the last 26. He's been to nine Sweet 16s, four Elite Eights, two Final Fours, one with UC, another at West Virginia. And he will be coming to town this weekend as head coach of the Mountaineers taking on the Xavier Musketeers. Bob Huggins, welcome. It is so nice to see you. How's everything in Morgantown? Tommy, it's great. You know, I'm just sitting here listening to you wax eloquently as you always do and uh, just enjoying the morning. Well, I, I, I can't thank you enough for, uh, for joining us. I want to go back to growing up in a household. I was looking up um, some of the accomplishments of your late father, Charlie Huggins. He won almost 400 games, lost around 70, won three state championships. You were around for all of that. What was life like growing up the son of a basketball coach? Hard. <laughs> Hard. <laughs> Uh, we had there were seven kids, uh, three boys and and four girls, in in the family and and uh, seven kids. Mom and dad living in a trailer. Uh, it wasn't uh, it wasn't palestial, Tommy. I'll tell you that much. When 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 you think about though, Bob, I, you know I think and, and and you've been around thousands of kids that you've recruited. You think about some of the life lessons you learn, no matter how it is you grow up. Um, and, and I'm assuming your dad as a coach was, uh, an incredible disciplinarian, very demanding, probably the same as a dad. Um, what is, what is one thing that you've taken away from that whole experience that stays with you every single day now as a man and as a coach? Well, I think when you, when you walked into practice, my dad had a clipboard. And he had the schedule for the day. And you couldn't have got done in a week what he had for a day. And um, he just kind of walk in there and look at that schedule and shake your head and say, it's going to be a long night. <laughs> uh, but I mean, he was, he was, um, he was, he, he probably did the fundamental things better than anybody I've ever been around. And, and I think the thing that, that I admired about him, particularly later on when I kind of got into the, into this business was he was always, he was always searching to get better. You know, he was, if he saw a, a, a coach or a team play that he, he really thought they did everything the right way, he would go see the coach and, and, and sit and, and talk, you know, with, with the coach and, he was never, he was, he, he never got too big to learn, you know, and he was, he was huge. Uh, probably the, as well known a coach as there was in the state of Ohio, but he never, I mean, you wouldn't know it. Uh, he got inducted into the Ohio uh, Basketball Hall of Fame and he, he, he didn't want it. He, he said, no, I don't deserve it. I don't, I don't, I don't want it. And, uh, you know, it's, he was, he was a very humble guy. 
You were a great player playing for him. Uh, you uh, come out one of the great players, one of the most recruited players in the state of Ohio, and you decide to go to Ohio University. You're only there for one year. Why one year there at OU? I didn't fit in. I mean, it just was uh, it, 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 the, the style uh, didn't, didn't fit me. Um, Walter Luckett was there, and, and quite frankly, Walter was way better than I was. And so I'm going to sit on the bench for four years and watch another guy play. Didn't didn't set very well with me. And, and my my grandfather, grandmother, grandfather on both sides, my mom and my dad, were still living here in Morgantown. And it seemed like uh, a good place to go. I mean, I was, I was born here, uh, lived here until I was, what, probably 11, 12 years old, and then moved to Ohio. So I knew people here. Um, it was comfortable, and it was a place where I felt like I could go play and make a difference. Well, and, and that you did. Um, Three-year starter, you uh, score over 800 career points, um, and you decide – had you decided already, Coach, when you were playing – and I know you got a tryout in the NBA – but had you decided already, even before you started college, I mean, I don't know, or maybe it was during college, that you wanted to be a basketball coach too? No, I wanted to play. I wanted to play. I, I uh, got an opportunity to try out with the 76ers, and uh, that was Doug Collins and World Be Free and that whole crew, and it didn't take very long to realize I wasn't in that group. So, but I, you know, I hung in there, hung in there, and I was, I was, I was officially the last one cut because I sat there until the other two guys that got cut walked out before <laughs> me. So I could always say I was the last one cut. Um, you, you, you come back and you become a grad assistant at uh, at West Virginia. You get your master's degree. You graduate magna cum laude, by the way, with a double major uh, in, in, in undergrad. Um. And so now you're embarking on your collegiate career, uh, your coaching career. You go from West Virginia to Ohio State, and then at 27 years old, uh, you get your first head coaching job at Walsh University. Uh, what, what was the difference between walking out of a big-time program under Eldon Miller at Ohio State where you were an assistant to now all of a sudden taking over at Walsh where you're the guy? Well, I think I think first of all, Coach Miller was uh, Coach Miller was is is to this day a wonderful guy. I mean, he just came down and spent a week with me uh, not long ago. Watched every practice, took notes. Uh, just an absolutely wonderful guy. And 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 Tommy, where where we grew up in the trailer where we grew up, if you went five miles one way, that's where Elton Miller lived. If you went five miles the other way, that's where Woody Hayes grew up. If you went five miles like over the river and up the hill, that's where Cy Young's buried. So I've been blessed, man. I've been blessed to be around some of the some of the great minds and some of the great people in, in college sports. And I was I was with coach for two years and I just I wanted to do my own deal. You know, I thought I thought it was it was time for me to um, kind of spread my wings and and and, it, and the truth of the matter is they didn't want me they wanted my dad 
and they offered my dad and he was he was going to take the job until he found out what the pay was and then he said listen i got a great idea for you why don't you hire my son so walsh college called me and it's it, it's kind of ironic that they came down I, I i signed the contract uh i was in i was in columbus at the time they they came down i signed the contract and probably no more than 10 minutes after they walked out the door, Malone College called me and offered me the job for about twice as much money. And I said, you know, hey, man, I'm, I'm sorry, but I've already I've already signed a, a contract. I'm I'm not going to break a contract. So I ended up at Walsh. Well, it doesn't it take was, you long to get that thing rolling. I mean, you go 34 and one your final year there. The, the, the one thing I found curious, Bob, was that you left as a head coach at Walsh to become an assistant coach at the University of Central Florida. Why? Uh, when, I, when, I, when I tell you, you'll know why. Chuck Mayshock. Yeah, yeah. That's why. Enough said. Enough said. Chuck, Chuck got the head coaching job and said, come on, you're going with me. And I mean, what, who was I to argue with Chuck? So I went Miss to him Florida every day. Him. I know you do too. No, miss him dearly. You're there with him, and then off you go to um, the University of Akron, and you get that thing rolling. You take him to the NCAA tournament. And now, all of a sudden, here comes a program in the University of Cincinnati um, that had not been to an NCAA tournament since 1977. Um, it, it, a lot of, lot of tough times and dark days. They offer you the job. You take the job. What was your perception once you got the job of how bad things were at UC? Well, I had no idea. I had no idea. I, I went in there. I think there were five guys that interviewed the same day at the Dayton airport. And I was the, I was the last guy in. And, and uh, the first guy went in and he left. Hey, I'm, I'm sitting out in the car. And, and I go in, and the first thing that Rick Taylor asked me is, what's the last book that you read? I said, When Glory Mattered. And he asked me a couple questions about the book. I told him what I got out of the book, and then we started talking about the program and what was needed and so forth and so on. And he said, okay, uh, we'll get back with you. I got up to leave. Now I'm the fifth guy out. So I'm walking out and he said, oh, wait a minute. I have one more question for you. I said, yes, sir. What is that? He said, what's the last book you read? I said, when glory mattered. He said, okay, thank you. And I walked out. Well, later on, Bill Mulvihill, who was in the meeting, told me the reason I got the job was that I was the only one who didn't lie about the last book they read. <laughs> The other guys, the other guys gave gave one answer uh, when they when when Rick asked him uh, at the beginning of the interview, and another book when they were on the way out. So I got it for I, I got the job for not lying, I guess. How about that? Um, you know, I I was announcing the UC games on television when, when when you got the job here, and I think back to those first two teams programs. You know, you been hit with some some probation uh and there were some heavily recruited players uh that tony yates had brought in 
that that you still had with the program. You had Lewis Banks, Andre Tate, Lavertis Robinson, and Key Starks. You bring in a guy from the football team and Steve Sanders because you know you're you're looking for bodies. As you look back in your career, could you ask for four or five bigger gamers than what those guys gave for you those two years? No, you know, and 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 Tommy, you hear you hear so much about you know that that group, you know, and and I didn't know I didn't know if they would stay, you know, I didn't know if they could if they would uh, succumb to what I was going to put them through, and I'm sitting in 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 the office there, the old office, and Laverse comes, he's standing in the door, and I said, "Come on in, man." And he said, I can come in. I said, yeah, come on in, sit down. Came in, sit down, and we talked for a while. And I said, why'd you ask if you could come in? He said, coach, I've never been in here. And I said, well, you're welcome here anytime. And and he says, coach, I'm here. I'm staying. I'm not I'm not going anywhere. And then shortly after, Lou Banks pops his head in the door. And, and then Andre Tate and Keith Starks and you know, I, I I owe a lot to those guys. You know, for for believing in me and 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 believing in the University of Cincinnati. You end up taking those teams to the NIT, and now comes ninety one, ninety two. You bring in a slew of junior college players: Nick Van Exel, Herb Jones, Corey Blunt, Eric Martin, um, Terry Nelson. Uh, you get a transfer. Uh, the, the, the real leader of that group that came, you had him in Akron in Anthony Buford. First of all, I, I want to ask you, do, did and do they still, junior college players, get a bad rap for whatever reason? Absolutely. We've got, we've got my, my two bigs right now are junior college players, and they're wonderful. I mean, they, they are they're, they're great academically. They are the nicest people you could ever be around, and they can play. You know, they've 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 been very good so far. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think I think to to a large degree, Tommy, they're more prepared. You know, and and they've and they've had it hard. You know, junior college isn't an easy thing, and and I think they're 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 more prepared. They're they're. They're more excited about the opportunity, I guess is the best way to put it. And so, yeah, I, I, I love those guys. And, and that team, you go to the Final Four. Uh, did you see that coming for that group in that short amount of time, all, all coming together and that first year together, Final Four, following year, Elite Eight? But did you see the Final Four thing or the possibility of it coming? Tommy, I can tell you this. I have been blessed to coach a bunch of, of All-Americans. I mean, I've been blessed to coach a bunch of guys that were pros. The best guy that I've ever coached is Herb Jones, with, without a question. And I think to a man, every one of those guys on that team will tell you that Herb was the guy. And I think, you know, when I when we were fortunate enough to uh, be able to recruit uh, Herb and, and Steve Muller did a terrific job in recruiting them. Um, 
and then we get Corey, Terry, and Eric, you know, because they were all friends. They were all together. Let's just go together. So we get those three guys. So, you know, you got and, – and, and Nick, nobody knew how good Nick was. You know, we, we, we watched him and actually it was Mo and I and, and really, really liked him. But, you know, people were saying, oh, he can't, you know, he won't do this. He won't. He was fantastic. And, you know, so it, it, it wasn't coaching. We had really good players. I mean, we had we had really good players. Well, co- coaching had something to do with it. You can be humble about it, but it, there's no doubt about it. I mean, to bring a bunch of guys that have never played together before in any sport and all of a sudden, th- this whole thing just like perfect fit. Maybe not every game was perfect fit, but you know what I'm getting at. And to make that kind of run, the Final Four and the Elite Eight is just I- extraordinary. The the next nine years, you win 23 or more every season. You go seven straight years of winning 25 or more. Now we come to 99-2000. Number one ranking in the country for 12 weeks. You've got the National Player of the Year in Kenyon Martin. You're starting in the conference tournament. And in the very first game, three minutes in, Kenyon Martin breaks his leg. What did you say to Kenyon Martin after that game? I'm sorry. Um, Kenyon was Kenyon was a, an absolute joy to coach, joy to be around. Uh, he and I still talk uh, quite a bit. I uh, did just talked to him I think it was last week we had a we had a long conversation and talked about the old days and talked about the future and and and, and everything else but what a what a what a great person and and it just it just uh I think I I think I think as a coach it's the hardest thing I've ever gone through to see him see him go down you know and then we go to the final four here at, at West Virginia and my best player, who was a wonderful, wonderful human being, who's working for the New York Knicks now, towards knee up. And you, you know, you you sit there and you say, why? You know, why? Why? Why those guys? They did everything right. Why? You know, you could see it, but some guy who was, you know, cut corners, did did everything humanly possible to make things worse. Those two guys were two guys that did everything right, and um, why them? You know, why? And Kenyon Steele was a guy just kind of rolled into him. It was a it was a down screen. It was a cross screen down screen, and a guy just rolled into him. And, and Ken had his foot planted. So it, it's it's still man. I I. Uh, I don't. I don't really think. Try to think about it much. I don't really talk about it much. You know, with I'm with when I'm with Kenyon, we we talk about a lot of things, but we very rarely, if ever, talk about that. What did you say to that team? I mean, I, I, look, these are these are smart young men, uh, and they know they've just lost the best player in the country. Uh, and 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 hopes of a national championship and and all those kinds of things and you still had a lot of other really good players but I mean he was the man. How do you try to hold that thing? What did you do to try to hold that thing together? He did more than I did. Uh, he was 
he was in the locker room, you know, before every practice, you know, hey, we got to go out here. We got to get better today. He was, uh, he gave a talk before every game about how, hey, listen, it's not over with, man. We, you know, we, we got to go do this. Everybody's got to step up, step your game up. He was phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. Nancy Zimfer is uh, public enemy number one around here uh, for many who love UC basketball and love Bob Huggins. And, and I mean, this town still loves Bob Huggins. Is Nancy Zimfer, is, uh, is she the reason that you were no longer at the University of Cincinnati or, or is, it, is, it, is, it, is it far more than that? It's more than that. There, there were a couple others involved. Did 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 you do did you think you had any chance of survival here? Not not no not with Bob going as the athletic director. You regret not being here. I mean, I I, I don't I don't want to ask you that because you have a great job and people who love you there at West Virginia. But but was there a part of you that died when you left this job? I loved I love Cincinnati. I love Cincinnati. I love the people there. I mean, how can you how do how do you beat uh, every time you open the doors? You got thirteen one seventy six. We used to scrimmage, and, and and I I did it. I talked to Rick Menner and said, you know, maybe maybe we can scrimmage, and some people will come in, and we'll kind of try to usher them into the football uh, stadium, and. I don't think we played a game where there wasn't thirteen one seventy six there, mm-hmm. Tom. And on on Saturday mornings, we would just scrimmage, and people would show up, and we'd have a couple thousand people there watching a scrimmage on Saturday morning. I mean, how do you how do you not love the people of Cincinnati and and how much they love UC basketball? You leave UC, you go to Can- you're out for a year, you go to Kansas State for a year, and now here comes your alma mater, uh, West Virginia. Um, your your uh, third season, just like at UC, uh, you take West Virginia to the Final Four. Uh, you lose to Duke there. Was it? Is there anywhere to – can you compare losing a Final Four game the first time compared to losing a Final Four game the second time? Or are they both just in their own way, just just really, really tough? Well, you see, we lost the best player in the country who I don't think anybody in their right mind would think we weren't going to win it if Kenyon doesn't break his leg. We're playing Duke and the best player in our league, Deshaun Butler, tears his knee up. And, you know, I don't, I don't care what anybody says when – when your heart and soul, your best player, gets carried off the floor, I mean, you got guys in the huddle crying, man, and they're and, and they're crying because of, because they love him and what he's done for them, what he's done for the team, and uh, it's just, I mean, emotionally, it's hard to it's hard to combat that. I mean, it's just everybody everybody is so so down and and the truth of the matter is they're more concerned about 
what's going on in the locker room with those guys than playing a game. Hard to believe uh, this is your 16th year at West Virginia. Um, over your 15 years, you know, one year they didn't play the tournament because of COVID. Take them to the NCAA tournament virtually every single year. How hard is it, Bob, to recruit in Morgantown, West Virginia? Not that hard, really. It's it, it's a great place. I mean, the it's it's a great university. Uh, there there are great people here. Uh, I think once people get here and and see, I mean, we've 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 got guys now, you know, with the portal and everything. We've got guys from all over the place, and they love it here. I mean, they absolutely love it here. And and I think what surprises most people is they stay here. They don't leave. You know, there, there are, are some obviously that leave for jobs and, you know, other things. And, and that, that's, I think that's the other thing. I mean, our guys have come out of here and got terrific jobs and, and, uh, but it's, it's, it, it's a place where, you know, once you get here, it's, it's hard to leave. Yeah. It, it's a phenomenally beautiful place. And like you said, a great school, you were kind enough to allow me to come talk to your team a couple of years ago when I was going through a really uh, tough time and, 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 and boy, what a great place. Um, players talk about you, Bob, like a father. And, and I was doing some research last night, and not many people like to talk about these kinds of statistics, but they are real and they are factual. In the African-American community, and this is in the United States of America, 67% of African-American children are born into a single-parent household. Whites are at 24%. In the inner cities of the United States of America, African-American children, 85%, are into single-family households. In a lot of cases, Bob, you are a second parent to these kids. How challenging as time has gone by and that number continues to increase, how challenging is that for you? I don't think it's a whole lot different, Tom. I mean, you know, I think I, I guess I guess I learned probably at Walsh, you know, it that you, you kind of you got to give, you know, you got to give a little bit. You got to, you got to, you got to know that they care about, that, that you care about them and that, you know, it's not, it's not all basketball, you know, it's, it's, it's getting an education. It's, it's being able to, to get a job. And, and, you know, fortunately, um, you know, I've been in situations where I knew people where I could help them get good jobs when they were done. I, I've been in situations where, you know, we've, we've been able to uh, get the help that, that some guys needed, you know, academically. I mean, for all the, all the BS that went on at UC, and there was a ton of it, our guys did pretty doggone well. And, and, and you, you look at where they are now, you know, <laughs> they're not living in the hood. They've got, they've got good jobs. They've got great families. Um, they're not anything what 
a lot of people portrayed him to be. And, 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 and I think that's the, that was the sad thing. That was the, that was, that was the sad thing there. And, you know, then you throw on top of that, you get an athletic director who is, uh, more concerned about, uh, himself and, and making money and, 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 uh, Dr. Steger said to me, are you sure, you know, that, that we need to bring this guy in? I mean, after all, he did take guys off of the, off of the, uh, stadium project and had him put a roof on his house. And I'm like, well, I mean, I knew him a long, long time ago. He was assistant AD here when I played here. And, and that's, that's the only time that I, I really knew him, but, uh, we just we just had some we, we we had some people that were it wasn't about the University of Cincinnati and it wasn't about our basketball team or our football team it was about them it was about them and them uh, furthering themselves making more money being able to get more money it was you know and, and, and Tommy you know it's not like I'm perfect I'm not but you know what. I've never gone in and asked for a raise anywhere I've ever been. I'm still working on the same contract that I signed here 16 years ago. Hasn't changed not one single bit. It's what they offered me. And I mean, I'm, I'm good with that. Now there are other people that, I mean, they can't get enough. And in the meantime, they hurt people and that's wrong. I mean, that's, that's dead wrong. And, and unfortunately, we had people at the University of Cincinnati who hurt people. And you shouldn't have the right to do that. Do kids, are you finding it harder? And I joke around about this on this show all the time. I mean, I coached my son and daughter's basketball teams from the time they were in kindergarten through the sixth grade. And... You know, I always felt like kids needed to be pushed and they needed to be challenged and you could say certain things to certain kids. You knew who they were um, and, and you knew who they weren't. Um, do, are you finding it harder to find kids that want to be coached and don't mind being coached hard? No. No, and I think, I think the reason being... Um, they know who I am. They know who I am. They know what I stand for. And they've also seen the guys come here and they all leave with something pretty good, be it a basketball career, uh, be it in petroleum engineering, being it in whatever it is that they, that, that they're going to spend the rest of their life doing. And, and they see that, I mean, they see that we care. They, they see that, you know, they see the, the relationship that we have with guys. Um, I mean, I, I, I've got guys that, that I've got maybe a couple of guys where people say, you're going to take him. He's he's not coachable. Of course, he's coachable. You, you just you've just got right buttons and and and, and they got to know you care about them, man. I mean, if they know you care about them, they're all in. And I think I've been fortunate enough to to get guys that, that, that do know that I care about them. And, and it's, you know, it's not, it's not the three years or four years or one year that they're here or they were at the university of Cincinnati. It's a lifetime, man. 
it's a lifetime. And I, and I think, I think, you know, you've seen that with my guys, Yep. you know, they, they know that I care about them and they know I'll do whatever I need to do to help them. Is that what you say to, to, to a, a parent or parents or to a kid? Because, I mean, look, you, you're going in and recruiting these guys that are getting recruited by everybody or in some cases recruited by everybody. I think the most amazing thing maybe about your coaching record and tenure is the fact that compared to the guys that are on that top 10 all-time list, I mean, these guys are getting blue chip, blue chip, blue chip, four, five, six, seven of them in one recruiting class. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, I think the only guy that, that you ever got to come to Cincinnati and, for that matter, West Virginia, that was a bona fide top, top guy was Danny Fortson. Um, is that accurate? I mean, am I right on that? DJ. Yeah. D right. DJ was. Yeah. 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 But, 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 but how are you able to – because you, you, you're not some you, – you're not a salesman. You're not some guy that's a lot of flash, your buddy Cal, and, you know, some of these guys that can come in there in their fancy suits and all this kind of stuff. How's Bob Huggins selling himself in West Virginia when you only have a short amount of time with a kid? Go talk to the players. Go talk to the players. They're going to be honest with you. I tell, I tell parents that. Go, go, go ask them. I mean, I could, I could say whatever, whatever, you know, and, and I, I mean, thank God my, my parents raised me to tell the truth, which obviously some guys don't, but I think it, I think it, it has way more of an impact when they hear it from the players. I'd ask them questions, go ask them questions. You, if you, if you are worried about this or that, go ask them, see what they tell you. You're coming to Xavier this weekend. Boy, you had some battles through the years as a coach of the University of Cincinnati against Xavier. Uh, you excited about the trip back? Uh, I don't know. I haven't really thought that much about it. You know, every time every time Xavier comes up, what I think about is Skip Prosser and, and what a wonderful, wonderful human being he was. And And, you know, Skip and I used to, used to get together and and we we kind of made a pact that when I I was done at UC and and he was done at Xavier we would go meet at his watering hole one week and my watering hole the other week and then we could sit there and talk and laugh and tell stories and and just just have a big time and uh, I was I was looking forward to that and I I know he was as well and it's a wow what a i mean that you talk about something hitting you hard i was with him the night before you know we went and got got a bite to eat he and dino and you know the whole group i was i was sitting right there with him and uh wow what a what a blow that was is the whole dislike of the UC Xavier rivalry, and I know you've been gone from it for a long time now, but was there ever, ever a point in time, and, and look, I announced a lot of those games, and man, I, uh, uh, 
It, it, it was pretty nasty, especially there during the, the, the Pete Gillen uh, regime there at, at, at X. I thought that's when it was at its most nasty. Not saying that he's to blame for that, but that just seemed at the point in time. Was there ever a point in time where you thought that rivalry was, was starting to border on being too much? Never really thought about it. The only time I ever thought about it was when we were getting ready to play. I didn't. I didn't pay much attention to it. I got I had too many other things going on. I had too many other. I'm, I'm trying to. I'm trying to get our team to back to the Final Four. I'm, that's that was my my concern. Trying to get our guys better. You know, trying to make sure our guys are doing everything that they need to do to be successful. I didn't really. I don't get caught up in a lot of that. You know, I, I mean, I honestly don't. I and I, I I never have. You know, I've got a lot of very dear friends in coaching, you know, but it's not like it's not like I, I, I call Bill Self or Bill Self calls me, you know, every day. I mean, we talk, you know, we, we talk when we need to talk. Um, same thing with all the guys in our league. You know, I mean, I'm I'm friends with all those guys, but and we don't we don't belabor it. You know, mm. I mean, it's just. If, if there's something we need to talk about, we do. Third winningest coach of all time. Do, do you ever find yourself thinking about that? Every time that people say that, I think, damn, I'm old. You know? <laughs> but you're really not. I mean, I was looking back up through some of the I – mean, I, I mean, by the grace of God, you're healthy and you want to keep doing it. And I know you're not thinking this, but when you just start adding up the number of wins per year, you have averaged, and a lot of people like us who have nothing to do with our time, like you, you know, you're busy, but the rest of us, uh, it's not inconceivable that one day you're not the all-time winningest coach in the history of basketball. There has to be, Bob, sometime. You, I mean, sometime in the summer, Maybe you're having a cigar, you're having a beer, whatever it is, and you're sitting on the back porch. There has to be some time where you've said, wow. I, I look at, uh, which I don't, I don't look at very often, but when they come up on TV, what Mike Krzyzewski's done, I'm happy for Mike. I mean, I, that, that, I don't think that'll, that will ever uh, be broken. The, the games that Mike's won, and I know I know Jim Beheim's going to make a run, but uh, you know those those two guys are those two guys are two guys that I I looked up to you know in the, in the coaching profession as as a as a younger coach. Um, I played I played against Coach Beheim's teams when I was when I played here at West Virginia. We we, we played them. Played them a couple times a year, so I mean I'm happy for those guys. I mean, I'm happy for anybody who has success in this business. Uh, long time coming, um, you know, long, long time coming. Your uh, induction this year to the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame. Um, your, your speech was amazing. Um, where were you when you got the call? Was it a call that you had expected to get before now? Well, everybody kept talking about it. So it's, you know, it was, it was hard not to, 
to think at least a little bit about. I was sitting right here at my desk. I was sitting right here at my desk, and they called and said that that I was going to be inducted. And when you got there, was it a bigger deal than even you perhaps had pictured it to be in your own mind or thought it it, what it might be in your mind? You know what was really neat, Tommy, is is the, the the fact that they they called me. Actually, I was I was in Florida. I was I was in Florida taking a break, and and I got a call, and they said that uh, that you know you had to have a presenter. You needed a presenter or two. So I hang up, called Jerry West right away, and Jerry said I'd love to do it, and you know. Jerry and I talked for a while, and and it was you know it, I mean what a what a great guy he is, and and he's been unbelievable to me, much like what Oscar was for me at at Cincinnati. I mean I I could talk to Oscar and and you know bang some things off Oscar, and Oscar was you know like Jerry, they're very much to the point, you know they tell you really what they thought, and you know you could take that and run with it. And then, then I got done talking to him, and I thought, well, my, I should call Rod Thorne. So I called Rod. I mean, both of those guys are Hall of Famers. Uh, so I called Rod and asked him if he would be a presenter, and he said absolutely. And uh, that was it. Last question. Your team is off to a 6-1 uh, a and one start this year. You're only lost against a really good Purdue team. How do you like your team? Is it a different kind of team, maybe, than you had in years past? Uh, is it a different kind? Yeah, we make shots once in a while. That's rather refreshing. <laughs> yeah, you know, you know what? Um, for everything about the portal, and obviously we we dabbled in the portal like like most teams did. Our guys really get along, you know. They, they they really get along. They really like each other, you know. You don't, we don't, we don't have like loners, you know. That kind of, there. You see our guys; they're always together. Um, I mean, it's been a to this point, anyways. I mean, it's been it's been a lot of fun, actually. You know, it's not that not that they're perfect or I'm perfect, but. It's it, it's been fun. I mean, we don't guard the way we need to guard. We don't rebound the way we need to rebound. I mean, those are two things that we've got to get a lot better at if we're gonna if we're gonna make a run here in March. But you know, they'll, they'll work at it. They'll try. You know, they and and they're they're very very coachable. So you know, I'm 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 happy. Uh, you know, Larry Harrison's been with me for. Seems like a hundred years, um, and and having Larry there, you know, on the bench, and Larry knows me, and I know Larry, and you know we we bang things off of each other, and and uh, Larry's a heck of a basketball coach, so I can't I can't ask for a whole lot more. The people here have been fantastic. Uh, the, the the people in the state of West Virginia have been absolutely fantastic. We're drawing more people. Uh, than anybody ever believed could be done here because people have to travel so far. I mean, we got people traveling three, four hours to come and watch a basketball game, turn around, drive home. 
and it's 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 not like driving down 77 you know no I mean? no no it's not no 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 it's uh it, it's a little it's a little rougher than that and 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 they still come you know they still come they still support i think our last a year ago our last whatever it was three or four games we were sold out i mean there wasn't a seat in the house not taken and and that's never happened here i mean it's never ever happened here uh it, it probably happened when they were playing in Stansbury Hall when Jerry was there and and, and Rod and Rod were there, you know, when, when Thorne and Hunley were there, but never in the Coliseum here. And, I mean, what I'm, I'm thankful and, I mean, what's not to be happy about? Well, Coach, I uh, I can't thank you enough for everything that you meant to me in 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 my career and in my life, uh, and and I say that you know that from the very bottom of my heart. I, you know, um, wherever I've gone uh, along the road from Cincinnati to Chicago to to Arizona, back to Cincinnati, and all points in between, whenever your name always comes up, um, I'm your number one fan and and number one booster, and and I'm rooting for you to win every single game, and that includes this Saturday. So if that ticks off some Xavier fans and uh, hell with it, I'm not worried about it. But uh, they'd find something out about if you didn't if you if you didn't say <laughs> they'd find something else. Believe me, yeah, yeah, you're, you're lying about that, Bob. Thank you so, so much. They, it, no, I, I just gonna say you know some people like to be unhappy, you know. So God bless them. God bless them is right, Bob. God bless you and thank you for your time today. I really appreciate it. Tommy, always a pleasure, man. Enjoy it. We'll see you this weekend. Sounds great. Looking forward to it. Bob Huggins, kind enough to join us today for an extended period of time. The big interview, the guy, I'm telling you, uh, the guy's the best. He's the best. Uh, when I got fired uh, from all my jobs two years ago, two and a half years ago, uh, he invited me to come speak to his team. Um, and to share with them some of the things you can say and some of the things you can do that can really screw up the rest of your life, whether you're a, an 18-year-old kid playing college basketball in Morgantown, West Virginia, or at the time, a 56-year-old uh, professional in Cincinnati, Ohio, uh, and, and had such an McBride and that whole group that he had down there. It was, uh, it was unbelievable. And I'm forever indebted to that guy, Bob Huggins. We'll take a break, come back with our cherry on top right after this. All right, welcome back to Off the Bench. We certainly appreciate uh, Bob Huggins' time. Um, Paul, you weren't old enough. Casey, you weren't old enough for the heyday of UC basketball when he was running the show there. It was unbelievable. He's right. I mean, I, I, I could have receded that number he gave. Every game, 13,176. 13,176. It was the hottest ticket in this town um, that, that I can ever remember. Uh, and that includes the Bengals now. It, it was the hottest ticket in town. They were ranked in the top 10 every single year. Unbelievable players. Exciting style. Tough style of basketball. Huggy! He was, the, he was great. He was great. And, and we were talking about... Uh, you know, the injuries that he had to deal with yeah. with Kenyon Martin to Sean Butler. We had this picture. I brought it up. I didn't want to show it during the interview, obviously. But, Casey, you can put it up on the screen. 
This was a, a moment that really sticks out to me about Huggins in his career. This was back in 2010 and the uh, final four when Deshaun Butler got injured in that game against Duke. I remember this like it was yesterday watching this game and watching him get hurt and watching Huggins go out there on the court. And that's just such an emotional picture that sticks out in your mind from his career and, and uh, just such a tough moment for that West Virginia team that was so good and to lose a player like him for the second time mm -hmm. when you lose Kenyon Martin and then you lose a guy like Deshaun Butler, you know, your leader, your best player, and to have such a horrific injury, that's I just can't imagine that as a coach. To have to go to have to go through it once, but also twice. Yeah. Yeah. And and you know, I I always talk about a young man who's still here in town. I have never seen, and when I was announcing the UC basketball games for about a ten year run there. 12-year uh, run. I used to go to practices all the time. And, and, and there is nothing like watching a practice run by Bob Huggins. I mean, it is warfare every single day. And I've never in my life seen a kid that just got killed by Huggins. Verbally, <laughs> emotionally, because Huggins knew he could take it is Terrence Gibson. A lot of you will remember Terrence Gibson, six-man, um, uh, uh, really good player, great defender, gave it everything he had. Not the most talented guy in the world, but turned out to have a heck of a career. But I mean, Huggins just wore him out every day. And if you were to sit Terrence Gibson down right here and ask him the most important man in his life, he would tell you without a doubt. And, 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 and a whole laundry list of those guys. From UC, I'm sure going back to Akron, Walsh, West Virginia now. Um, for so many of those guys, he's like their dad. Or a second dad, in some cases. Do we have a, a cherry on top or no? We do. We do. What do we have today, gentlemen? This is a Casey special. Yeah. Really? Uh I, I actually got one today. Is this a uh, soccer special? No, it's actually... A, it is football. It's football related. It's uh, the three amigos. The three amigos on the sideline here. Um, they're just talking, chatting during the game. And uh, they see Jamar Chase um, eating some hot dogs. And this was the conversation that they hot had. Hot dogs? Yeah. yeah. Hot dogs. Hot dogs. Hot dogs, yeah. Okay. You eating a glizzy with no bev and no condiment on it. You're, you're pitiful. Well, Jamar Chase eating a glizzy. He's a glizzy gobbler. Ah, I'm done, bro. I'm done. Oh, look at him. Look at him, yeah. Oh, he got two glizzies. <laughs> you eating a glizzy with no bev. That's good stuff. No condiment on it. Yeah, just some uh, brotherly banter back and forth. You like to see some stuff like that from time to time. Well, so. hopefully they're all back on the field without Chase eating hot dogs this coming <laughs> Sunday with the Kansas City Chiefs rolling into town. Yeah, right. We've got the box lunch coming up. Trace Fowler. Yeah. Good morning. Still oh. five minutes left in the morning. That's right. Is that is that officially when morning ends? Is that the deal? Allegedly. That's what I'm told. When it turns the noon, it's morning's over. Yeah, that, that's what I'm told. See, mornings to me are over when, when, when McDonald's stops serving breakfast. Uh, they're serving breakfast all day now, aren't they? Well, I'm talking like the real breakfast, not the little menu that they have for 
the whole day. Oh, I didn't know there was a difference. So um, that's my that's my um, personal. Gotcha. What would that be called? An algorithm or something yes. along those lines? Yes. Of yeah. when, or, of when no, the day. What's it called? A uh, has to do with the sunlight. What was that called? Daylight savings. Or what? Are you, what are you? <laughs> Come on, Casey. Golly. It's an all-timer. Sorry, I, mean, I was in the middle of like... That is second in line and... after ex-professional. Yeah, okay. Casey. Casey, I, I, can I, I give like, just a little bit of advice? We've forgotten about I, that already. Before, before we even say anything, I wasn't really paying attention. I just heard something about the sunlight. I was trying to set up the other show, the box lunch, and I just hear, it's got something new with sunlight. I'm like, daylight savings? I just said it out loud Casey, I'm thinking out loud. I could just keep it to myself. But. I don't offer much advice that I know is right, but this is going to be right. If you're ever in a situation where you're not sure exactly what you're either talking about or you're not sure of what the subject matter is of what's being talked about, just say, can we say that again or you're not sure? Because you're like the kid in class when the teacher calls on them and they haven't been paying attention. And instead of just telling the teacher that you're like, Sorry, teacher, I wasn't paying attention. Yeah. You come up with some elaborate story and you try to use context clues and you come up with the dumbest answer possible. Well, so I'm well, just saying. I, that, so just I'm saying, just saying. It's, just, it's just as simple as just saying, sorry, I wasn't paying attention. What was what were we talking about here? Well, that's what I just said. I said <laughs> I wasn't paying attention. I was setting up the other show. No, after, no, after, no. after. Daylight after. savings time? No, you just threw in daylight savings time randomly <laughs> as hell. <laughs> Let's just get back to subject matter A. Which is, there's a decent amount of topics we can talk about today. I want to jump on some stuff that, that you got with hugs, not, not going down deep into the weeds, but a couple of things that stand out to me with hugs that's always been apparent, but definitely through that interview is, one, he's comfortable in his own skin, unlike many, many people. Like, he doesn't change. He, he, not he, one he, bit. He is, he is who he is, yep. and he doesn't really mind what the perception is from the outside. Right. And perfect example of that is just the way in which he conducts the interview is the same in which way that he would probably be sitting at a bar talking to somebody. Yep. It's just this is what it is. I don't need to try to, you know, the light went out on him. He didn't give a rat. <laughs> right. He just talked for the next 10 minutes. If it came back on, it came back on. If it didn't, <laughs> hey, it is what it is. I mean, and one thing that he does do, he gets he still gets emotional and I don't know if you noticed this, but he had like a nervous twitch or like a, a twitch that he was having during the interview when he got on subjects that I think were very personal to him. He was like clicking his pen real fast or he's kind of tapping the desk. And the Kenyon Martin thing still really, really bothers yeah, him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that was some kind of team, man. I mean, it, they, they, I mean, they were so good. They were, without a doubt, the best team in the country. A lot of years, most years, you can debate that. When a tournament starts, there's seven, eight teams, four or five teams, whatever that you, you, you say got a shot to win it. Uh, that year, uh, universally, everybody felt like UC was w the unquestioned team to beat. Yeah, that was, it was sad, man. I remember I was in Joplin, Missouri, driving across the country to move to Arizona and stopped to watch that game on TV and couldn't believe it, Just like, like many of you. You, you watched it on TV and you couldn't believe You know, that whole UC thing, the way it came to an end, th there's a lot to that story. And, and I have, he has shared that with me uh, before. And, you know, I, I wasn't going to go down that rabbit hole. 
to try to, to – I mean, I, I laid it out there. You gave an opportunity. And, 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 and that's the point I'm trying to make is that in a day and age where all walks of life, even just people we know in our lives, that they get a chance to throw somebody in front of the bus, they're going to do it. And there are a couple of big-name people in this town. When he said that Nancy Zimfer was not the only one, it was a couple of others. It was a couple of others in this town, um, and he just won't, he won't do it. I think it's amazing he won't do it. Do you think it's because he's still coaching? Like when he's out of no, it completely no, or no? I just think, like you said, you, what you see is what you get. I just think that, you know, that's one of his things that he's not going to do, and he's not going to do it whether he's coaching or whether he's 90. Or maybe when he's 90, I don't know. If he gets to 90, I hope and pray he does. A lot of people in this town, that's the one thing when you bring up his name, people who know him, or even if you don't know him, you know, you worry about it. He's big. He's gotten heavy in recent years. Um, and so, you know, you worry about it. He's had health problems in the past. Uh, hope and pray for him. But uh, obviously he's still doing what he wants to do. And, and, and I would be shocked if he ever retired. Really? I would be. I just think that that's, again, back to what you said. He, that's who he is. I yeah. mean, yeah, he's a husband and a father and all those kinds of things. Maybe a grandfather by now. I don't know. Probably so. But, I mean, he's a basketball coach. And he loves the kids, and they keep him young, and they keep him going. He has something to look forward to every day and every year. And, um, and boy, he's still doing it mighty, mighty well. Um, Paul, you said you saw their team playing. You said they got a good team. Yeah, I think they have a good team. And it was funny he was harping on the defense so much because they are a better defensive team than they are an offensive team. And I'm not saying that they're the defensive teams of West Virginia of the past, but, I mean, they're the 21st best defensive team in the country. <laughs> and he's, he's going on about, you know, we can't guard, you know, we can't yeah. rebound all this. And, hey, Hugs, That's him. Hugs, you're 21 in the country, man. That's <laughs> right. There's only 20 better. That's right. So, That's you know. Right. Well, it'll be, it's going to be a really good game. I mean, all kidding aside, and, and I know I've chapped some of the Xavier fans out there watching by, <laughs> by saying what I said, but, but look, um, you know, uh, I, I like Sean Miller, but I know Bob Huggins, and I like Bob Huggins, and I root for him to do well. And um, – and that includes this week. I did love the comment at the end about about Xavier and the shootout because you know because he tried to deflect it early in the interview and he tried to say you know it's just, we worry about it when the time comes that's right and that's what everybody tries to say around the shootout. But then at the end he throws in that line and I'm like that is why this game is the best game of the year every year. It's the best. I love it so much. That was a great line to end it from him because you know it's still it's still there. He can deflect it all he wants, and he he can talk about it or, or whatever he wants to say. But I love that. I love that he said that. That was yeah. The best. He 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 really thought the world and emotionally. You're talking about when we skip Prosser. He's talking about that. But he, but yep. the, the whole Gillen thing. Uh, no love lost there. <laughs> you got somewhere you to be, and Tom. None. What's that? You got somewhere to be? No. I want you to stick around for like one or two of these topping points because I, I, I want your opinion on them. But I also think it's something – I don't want to talk about a fan base without having somebody specifically here to get – maybe you can't speak for the whole fan base, but your thoughts on a few things. All right. First of all, I have the first subject matter. I want the chat to chime in. If they have any suggestions for segment ideas on your show, I think whether we do that today or tomorrow, I don't know. But we're going we're gonna to kind of think about some um, – some fun topics or some fun ideas. Not saying the cherry on top. Maybe we, we 
we do some alternative things, okay. but but maybe the chat has some ideas. I think Jolly Jolly gave us some fun some fun thoughts from time to time on, you know, Casey Stinkless is at the top of the segments, I know, but maybe we can find some other ones as well. But that's number one. The second thing on the list, we can get to it right now, is this. I have this thought with the, US, uh, with the Ohio State situation, right? And maybe it's because in my past life, right, as I've said before, I, I used to be an Ohio State hater, quite frankly. And some of that just comes from jealousy because you live in a state, the program's always good, they win, they've won a couple national championships, you root for a team down in the SEC that you feel like always has to go through the gauntlet to even get a chance to play for the, the national championship, and you, you almost hold some prejudice to that. And, and almost like the hate in my heart left last year once Georgia won to where it's like, okay, now it's like, whatever. We, we made it to the mountaintop, let it be. I genuinely think Ohio State, now I know they just played, and I know what I'm about to say is going to maybe piss some people off, but I genuinely think they're the, they're, the, they're the second best team to win a national championship in this country. I really do. And here's what I'll say. I went back. Saying, you think they're the second I best think, team this year? I think that they're, if, if you laid it out to me right now and you said, hey, put your money on the teams that you think would win the national championship, Ohio, or obviously Georgia's won. And I don't know if that's coming from a bias standpoint or if it's just obviously they've. Well, there's reason to maybe, believe that. Right. And then the second team I would pick is Ohio State. Because I think that they have the firepower on their best day. They can beat Georgia. I don't know if that's the case for Michigan. I really don't. It's almost like Michigan's the team that, like, they're going to try to out-Georgia Georgia, Georgia and I, or out-bully the bully. I don't think they have that in them. It's like, in order to beat Alabama back in the day, right, more times than not, you weren't going to go into Alabama and run Alabama's offense and run Alabama's defense and beat Alabama. You, you had to spread it out. You had to run five wide. You had to be like an Urban Meyer spread offense, have a dual threat quarterback, and beat Alabama that way. So my point is with all of this is that, you know, Ohio State fans are talking about firing Ryan Day, which obviously is not a little bit of nonsense. You know, I heard the little jokes earlier about, no, oh, bring Vrabel in here. And, and listen, if Vrabel would think about taking the job, i got to be honest, I, he's one of the few people maybe you, 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 you'd, you'd entertain that. But that being said, Ryan Day, in my opinion – I know the last two years have not gone right with, with the Michigan situation. But if I went back and watched, and I know Ohio State fans probably can't do this yet. It's too, too fresh. I went back and watched, again, on YouTube, that game against Michigan this past Saturday. There are three or four plays that are just not realistic to happen again. Okay? They had a third and 14 inside the red zone. And somehow, and again, I know Michigan, give them credit. They played, they, they, they made the plays. I can't take that away from them. But my point is, is if Michigan and Ohio State play 10 times on a neutral field, I'm telling you, I really have a hard time seeing it from an unbiased standpoint of Ohio State not winning more than five games. Oh, I, I, think, I think they'd win more than that. And, and my, my point to the whole, my point to all this is you just have to get in, which brings me to my next point. Before Ohio State fans just jump completely off the reservation, there's a high, high likelihood that USC does not win against Utah this weekend based off the things that I see in Vegas. I, I'm, so my point to all of this is, is before you start casting stones at Ryan Day, before you act like the season's completely over, the truth is there's a high likelihood you're going to make the playoffs. And if you get beat by Georgia, you get beat by Georgia. But I'm telling you right now, if you can get past Georgia, you're favored in the national championship. Oh, I don't think there's any doubt about it. I, I mean, if you got in at Ohio State as a four, uh, you'd play number one. Uh, the other game would be, at least right now, would be TCU against Michigan. I think that game could go either way. I, I think TCU's good. 
I mean, and I don't just say that because they got a kid that goes here. I, I just think they got a really good team. Um, and I think they can play with anybody. Now, whether they beat Michigan or not, you know, who knows. But I think I read where going into this second-to-last poll, 26 of the 32 teams that were ranked in the top four got in. Okay? I think it's something like this. But then once you played the conference championship games, right, um, there's a significant number of teams that all of a sudden fell out. I don't know if I worded that correctly or not. Point being is one of those teams is going to lose, I think, this weekend. Now, for Georgia and Michigan, it's not going to matter. And to be honest with you, I mean, if TCU were to lose, I still think they should be in. I think you feel the same way. I 100% agree with that. I, I, I think that it's, it's, if you're an Ohio State fan, there's one game to watch. Yep. I really don't think you can take TCU out of the mix. I'll say this, though, and I've been saying this, and I don't, I don't want to ruin the segment for later, but, but I think that the committee would, would kick TCU out if they were to get beat by more than 14 points. For, and that's not fair. I really don't think that's fair. I think TCU's in no matter what, unless they do like a Ohio State-Wisconsin situation from years past in the Big Ten Championship where it's a 60 to nothing yeah, game. Right, right. That is, I don't think that's going to happen. No, One, no. maybe for instance, and we, we can go through all these hypotheticals. I really don't want to do that. But like maybe if TCU quarterback gets hurt, you know, a season-ending injury, which they, they say they take that into account, which is maybe some of the reason for the whole Tennessee situation with Alabama. Hendon Hooker's gone for the year, so that's why they moved him down. I think TCU should be in. So having said all that, it comes down to USC-Utah, and I really don't think USC is going to win that football game. I don't think it. I don't think they will. Well, so, I know. For Ohio State fans, they're hoping you're right. I know that, and I, I guess my point to the whole situation is as simple as this. I've seen this story before. I've seen it last year. Georgia fans were beside themselves, talking about how Stetson Bennett needed to be benched. He wasn't any good. They needed to start JT Daniels. They were never going to beat able to beat Alabama with Stetson Bennett. They would blah, blah, blah. This defense was overrated. They weren't as good as they said they were all year long. And if you go back and you watch the game, you realize at times there are some big moments and some big plays that happen that are just completely completely not realistic to happen again in Ohio State losing coverage three to four times in their secondary is not something that I can say that's sustainable now it can happen but it's not something that's going to happen again I can tell you one team I can promise you now the Michigan fans got the big chest I can tell you right now if Ohio State played Michigan again in the national championship you do not want that if you're a Michigan fan no, I, I promise you you don't want yeah, that yeah and it's and I'll tell you if they put the line out in that game, Vegas would probably make Ohio State like a two-point favorite. Yep. And I can tell you what's going to happen. You've seen me talk about this before. The entire world is going to jump on Michigan because they're going to think that Michigan's this bully. Now, the one thing I'd be concerned about if I was an Ohio State fan has nothing to do with the talent. It's got nothing to do with the schematics. It's got nothing to do with the Jim Knowles and him putting up press coverage. I do think it has something to do with the psychological effect and the men up front because – they did get bullied a little bit towards the end of that game. And I would – there's one thing about losing a game. There's another thing about getting punked a little bit. So – Well, that's why I worry a little so bit about the culture. people on Ryan Day's case. Because, look, we can sit here, you know, and, you know, my dad made the point. 
But there are, there, there are only really, and I don't think Georgia's here yet, yet, they're knocking on the door. But there are only two programs in the country where when the season starts, their fan base has every right in the world to believe they should win a national championship. That's Alabama and Ohio State. They recruit better than everybody else. Clemson looked like they were kind of getting in that group. And now all of a sudden, the last couple of years, not the same. Um, but those two fan bases. So when people say, Ryan Day's 45-5, and five, there's no way you can hire him. I think that there are 15 coaches in the country that if they came to Ohio State, they could have won 45 of their last 50. I really do. I truly believe that. Now, it's not taking anything away from Ryan Day because I think he is a great football coach. But to your point, the psyche of the Ohio State fan is we shouldn't be getting pumped. Yeah. And that's the one thing that Urban Meyer gave that program. They were never going to be punked by anybody. They might get beat, but they were 7-0 and against Michigan. And they were putting 60 and trying to get 70 on the board against Michigan when Meyer was going up against Jim Harbaugh. They were going to step on your throat until you choked to death twice. And I think when they look at, and I know you're going to show video of that. I think I saw it a second ago. You're going to show video of when... They decided not to go for it on the fourth down, down by four. Right. Um, this was the mentality, whether or not, you know, you don't know when you're sitting in the stands that this play had a yeah. chance to happen, it was going to work, and I'll let you tee this up in a second. But when you're sitting there in the stands and you're going, wait a minute, we're Ohio State. We've got the ball at the Michigan 45-yard line or at midfield. You've got the best quarterback, allegedly, in the country. you got the best wide receiver in the country. you got one of the best offensive lines in the country. And you mean to tell me you're not going for it? That's the Ohio State fan mentality. Whether they're way off base or not, that's what it is. Well, I'll say this about Ohio State, the Ohio State situation from an outsider's perspective is this. I think, and I'm not taking anything away from Urban, because I think Urban set the standard of what he expected when it came to that game. And, 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 and I think at times, perhaps, you can overhype something too much to work against you. I think Urban was the benefactor a little bit of some bad Michigan teams. And, so, and they were in a rut as a program as a whole. I agree. Urban, Urban kind of also, in my opinion, was in the psyche of Michigan's program, to be fair. So I don't think Urban ever once played Michigan the same Michigan team that Ryan Days had to play because, Ur uh, not Urban, but, but Harbaugh changed his philosophy. You're right. If you want to give Harbaugh some credit, what he did do, when it wasn't working, when he decided to try to go hire an offensive coordinator to be a spread offense and try to be like an, like an Ohio State Urban team and bring in these defensive guys that are obviously these new age concepts, when Harbaugh decided, you know what, if I'm going to lose, I'm already losing, I'm going to lose my way. Let's go back to two tight ends. Let's bunch it up. Let's just make it a smash-mouth football game. That program changed. Yes. And Ryan Day has been a benefactor of the guy having to play a hardball-type team. I don't think Urban ever really had to play a hardball-type team. I couldn't to agree be, more. To be fair. Now, having said all that, I don't know. Uh, for, for those that are saying, and I've watched a lot of I'll give a shout-out to a guy. His name's Josh Pate. He does something called The Late Kick. He does an excellent college football show. He was at Ohio State for this game. He said, for all those that are saying that Ohio State, they've lost a little bit of touch with how much this game means, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. 
He said he's never seen, he's been in many locker rooms, he's never seen a locker room in a press conference as sorrow, and he's been in national championship locker rooms, et cetera, as sorrow as the Ohio State locker room. He said the guys were coming out of the locker room after the game, hour and a half after the game, empty stadium, completely gone, and guys were sobbing on the field. So let's not act like Ryan Day and that program doesn't know what this means. They, they very much do. They're just playing somebody, in my opinion, that's a little bit different. And if you don't execute for four quarters, you, you're going to get beat by teams that are relatively good. So I want to show this play. I'm going to tee this up. I'll let, I'll let him get it up. This is a pivotal moment in this game. And for those, many of you may have already seen it. Maybe you didn't. But this, in my opinion, can, can be the difference. It, it literally is the outcome. could change the outcome. Changes the whole complexity to the game, Tom. It's the fourth. It's the punt. The cue this third up. quarter, 24-20, Michigan in front. Third, third quarter, 24-20. They had the ball, you said, at like the 35. There was a punt. They ran the field goal unit out there. Everyone in the stadium's moaning. They're wondering why they're not going to use their guy. Coaches, listen, they spend 80 to 100 hours a week looking for the slightest advantage, right? They try to find something that they know might be executable to give your team a chance to win. In Ohio State, I give their coaches all the credit in the world. I, I mean, sometimes players got to do what they're supposed to do. Ohio State coaches figured something out on a special teams unit, and they knew that if they got this look during a punt formation earlier in the game, they were going to go back to this play if, if they needed to run a fake punt. Just so happened they were in a position of the field on Michigan's 35-yard line. They get a snap infraction. Fourth and six goes to fourth and 11. They still do it. Casey, show the fake punt. That turned out not to be a fake punt. I'll let this guy, the Buckeye Scoop guy, BuckeyeScoop.com, Explain it. He got a seal here. Get a seal here. Tommy's kicking him. If you just snap Mitch the ball, it's gone. Because, you know, the, the thing that happens here is Mitch is like stunned because he doesn't get the ball. And, and like, and you see, you see, you can see how Mitch, watch Mitch's reaction. When Look at he, that he hole back on the left hand side. There's you know, no one the there. And here. the only guy that could possibly and, and, tackle and your fullback back, is maybe a chase down. But he's, he's not, getting he's 25, 35, 45 yards right there. Maybe, I don't want to say 45, maybe call it 30 and, yards. And, and have these guys running the other way. So he's the, 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 it's, it's an executed to perfection. You can you know it's a fake because of two things. One, the guy looks back wondering why he didn't get the ball. And two, the whole right side of the line didn't block the guys rushing the passer because they wanted to be able to go block downfield. So instead, the ball snapped behind him. The punter's running out to the right because he's trying. he knows he's not supposed to get the ball. It's an incredible play by the punter, if we're being honest. He didn't know he was going to get the ball. Ball was snapped to his left. He caught it and got rid of the punt. But that in and of itself, that one single play, I'm being honest, that changes the whole outcome of that game. You can say what you want about all at the end of the game. Michigan got two late touchdowns, okay? They also made an incredible breakup pass. And there was two plays where I'm not trying to get on number eight. I don't know your guys' players as well as I know Georgia players, but I don't know who number eight is. He's a, he's a tight end. Yeah, Stover dropped balls. Okay. He's, well, the one was knocked out of his hand. The one was knocked out of his hand. Yeah. But my point is, is that he had two plays in that game where, you know, hey, I'm not if, – if, if it's Brock Bowers, I know that the ball's probably getting caught, which I know you can't compare the two. But my point is, is that there was a fourth and three – where I question a little bit, if we go back to that game, and I want to get off Ohio State and get to the UC thing here in a second, the last thing I'll say about it is this. Ohio State was bullying them. I'm tired of hearing about Michigan bullying Ohio State. I watched that game again. They were getting five, six, seven yards of carry in that game with their fourth string running back or third string running back. Or Fifth string was. running back. Whatever it was, it doesn't right. matter. Right. They were getting push. 
If it's fourth and three, I know you got the best quarterback in the country, but sometimes you just turn around and you say, listen, we're handing this thing off. You better beat your man off the block, and we're going to get to pick up this first down. Instead, they throw a seam route to number eight, bounces off his hands, turn the ball over on downs. I'm just saying, everyone thinks Ohio State got blown out, folks. It looks exactly like Georgia-Alabama last year. It does. It looks like a blowout, but if you go back and you switch four or five plays, completely different game. Ohio State fans are going off the deep end, and they, they vary. I'm not trying to pump you up. I hope Georgia wins the national championship. Trust me, I do. No one wants it more than me. Do. But I'm telling you, you wouldn't surprise me if they won the, they won the well, national Well, they got to get in first. And, 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 and the only way I think that's going to happen is if, uh, is if SC gets beat. And they're on center stage by themselves because that is a Friday night game, the Pac-12 title game. It's not Saturday. It's Friday night. Well, that's it. Yep. Utah I really think VSC that's VSC in Vegas. You're the last thing I want to bring up. be. Vegas. Maybe one day. We'll see. No. Last thing I want to bring up None to you. None of those guys. Last thing. We'll let you go. I'm tired of hearing this narrative, okay, of stepping stone jobs. I'm so sick and tired of hearing guys talk about how you can't go get Dion because he'll be gone in five years. You can't go get this guy because he'll be gone in five right. years. What is the alternative is, is the question that I really am going to get at here. Because if you think that your program's a stepping stone job, I said this in the last show on Monday. I don't think you were here to hear it, Tom. It's like, what, what, what jobs aren't a stepping stone program? Because the truth is, Urban Meyer leaves Florida to go to Ohio State. Brian Kelly leaves Notre Dame to go to LSU. Lane Kiffin leaves Tennessee to go to USC, right? Lincoln Riley, Lincoln leaves, Riley leaves Oklahoma to go to USC. Like, let's stop talking about stepping stone jobs and trying to not hire guys because you think that they will leave. If guys are leaving to go get better jobs, then you know what? You're doing a hell of a job as a program, period. You can't worry about it's. It's almost like don't go date the prettiest girl in school, Tom, because – she might go date someone else that 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 because she's in five she's, years. Yeah, because she's just so attractive. You got a bunch of people going after. Her. It's like what's the what's what's the alternative? Do you want to go get like a a wash up that might be there for the next twenty years? That's not going to happen. No, and, and think and at the end of the day, it all comes down to even if you are a stepping stone job, and I know you don't like that term, but look, Cincinnati fans have a right to make that statement because of. You know, whether it's Mark D'Antonio, Brian Kelly, uh, Luke Fickle, whatever it might be, those guys have left for bigger jobs, and God bless them. Huge jobs. You're never going to say no to, 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 uh, to at the time, compared to UC, Michigan State, uh, Notre Dame, and now Wisconsin. You're not going to say no to that. But the bottom line is, is, is look where your program is five years after having this guy who it's a stepping stone's job. I mean, Tommy Tuberville's running the operation in Clifton five years ago. If somebody would have told you that Cincinnati was going to be in the college football playoff when Tommy Tuberville came to town, you'd have said, well, where do we sign up to get Luke Fickle? And if, if he's going to leave in five years, but that's what he does for us, including right. going 44 and six with Desmond Ritter as a quarterback, I'll take those five years and God bless him wherever he goes after that. Right? right? That that is yeah. You there, build there, there, a brand new indoor all because of Fickle. And the people put up the money for it. But his five years here led to all of this. 
You would have never been there just hiring as you're talking about, you know, the 20th cutest girl instead of you had a chance at, at, at the prettiest girl. Yeah. I'd rather lose a coach even if it's after two years. If, if, if it means that they're going to get pursued by someone else because they are the hot commodity – and at some point, UC fans have to realize that they are they are growing in stature. This isn't this isn't the American Athletic Conference anymore. This isn't a program that doesn't get a sold out crowd anymore. Yep. There's a reason as to where you're 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 growing. Mark Few. At some point, you might get a Mark Few at Cincinnati. And I know that I'm crossing sports, using analogies, whatever. Maybe it's not the same trace. Mark Few's still at Gonzaga, and the reason he's still at Gonzaga is because. They started having success. They started being able to play a non-conference schedule that allows them to get the seeding that he needs to have in the NCAA tournament. My point is, is that the the circumstances changed at Gonzaga. They got a he new did, building. He didn't need to leave because right. circumstances changed. At the end of the day, circumstances are changing at UC. Stop belittling your own program and thinking that the next guy is going to automatically leave because at some point, if you get a guy there and they start to they start to challenge for the college football playoff every single year, it's it's literally on the same playing field as I would argue as an Oklahoma at one point during this college football playoff area. You're in a conference that's winnable. You're in a conference that doesn't have an Ohio State in it. You're in a conference that doesn't have an Alabama or a Georgia in it, right? You're in a conference that you genuinely, every single year, if you have a good football team, you can go and make the college football playoff, especially with it expanding to 12. So don't fall into this trap in, in assuming that if you go get Deion Sanders, that he's automatically gone in five years. Because I would also say this about Deion. I think that there's a little bit of loyalty in his, uh, in his DNA. I think he's the type of guy that knows that the, that the optics of hiring him are different than most people. I don't think he's a dumb guy. In fact, I think he's a very intelligent guy very when, it, intelligent when it comes guy. to all this. Yeah. So, And I'm not saying he's going to stay at Cincinnati just because you offered him the first opportunity at a Power 5. But if he thinks he can get to the, if he thinks he can get to the college football playoff and there's nowhere else that he's going to go from a college perspective that's going to give him that same opportunity, he could be here for a long, long time. Yep. Same with the next guy. So I think coaches only really care about a few things, quite frankly. Can they get the players in there that allow them to compete for the, the ultimate prize? And how hard is your path to get there, right? Brian Kelly, I think, got frustrated because he didn't feel like he could get the guys to ultimately beat a Georgia or an Alabama. But I'm going to tell you this right now. If that happens to UC, are you upset? Are you mad? Are you mad that guy leaves to go to Alabama or LSU? Well, if you or, are, you're a fool. Now, the way they go about it, it's a different ballgame. You can get mad at Brian for the right. way he did it. But, no, I mean, it's like, you know, it's like the old Xavier fans. I used to argue with them all the time. They get mad at, you know, Thad Mata and, and, and all these guys and Sean Miller, and they're going to Ohio State and they're going to Arizona. I'm like, are you kidding? You're not even the biggest in your town. Oh, no. <laughs> no, but no, I'm saying as far oh, no. as following, I'm not saying Xavier's had much deeper runs in the NCAA tournament. They've had far greater success than UC. It's not what I'm saying. I'm saying because of the size of the school, the UC alumni base in this town has got to be tenfold of Xavier. Right. When more people go click on to see the score or turn on the radio or whatever it might be, UC is going to get the overwhelming majority of people in their own town, right? 
Correct. And you're so, getting on Thad Mata for going to Ohio State or Sean Miller to go to Arizona? I think that's just where fandom overreaction <laughs> yeah. comes in, right? I mean, you you ultimately and, – and I, I actually, to be honest with you, I don't I don't blame UC fans for wanting Wisconsin to go on 10 next year. Like, part of that, I understand. I mean, I think you can do both. You can appreciate what Fickle did for you, but you can also be like, I hope the guy never wins again. Like, that that that's a part of fandom, right? I, I, I'm not going to belittle that. But at the end of the day – I just wanted to see what your thoughts on where, you know, what what alternative, I mean, at the end of the day, do you have if you're the University of Cincinnati when it comes to hiring your next football coach? The only two options you really have is, in my opinion, well, three. You can hire within. I don't know if that's the answer. I think most people would agree that that's not probably the case. The second thing you can do is you can go try to find the person that's looking to make to make a big step up that has had success at a lower level, which has always been what UC has done and they've had a lot of success with. No one thought Luke Fickle was going to be what Luke Fickle was. No one thought Brian Kelly was what Brian Kelly was going to do. The only time they ever decided they wanted to bring in a big name is when it was absolutely a you-know-what show down there yep. in Tommy Tupperville. Yep. You know, and that's my point with UC fans is, is they some of these guys want bounce back guys. And I'm not saying that they couldn't come here and have success, but don't go off the reservation if they decide to hire a Heartline, which I know that that's a little bit of a popular name, um, or even a guy that you never heard of. Because as Huggins explained when you did your interview, there's a lot of great coaches out there that have success at lower levels that are elite coaches that just for whatever reason they've never they've never been given the bigger opportunity. So you don't know who they are. But they, are, they, they can out-coach Tom Herman any day of the week. And I know it sounds like I'm on this Tom Herman hit train, but I just don't understand how this guy's name is brought up when he didn't. I mean, yeah, you could say whatever. He went to the he went to the Sugar Bowl. He was 10, and I think they won like 10 games that year at Texas. But I just am never going to fall under the belief system that if you can't win at the highest level at Texas in the same conference you're joining, you're not going to win at UC. You're just not. So I'd rather take a chance and go get a guy that's, that's, that's unheard of and or at a lower level than to try to find some bounce back guy, you know, personally. It's going to be interesting, and they're talking about hopefully having an answer by the end of the week. That's wild too, isn't it? It's hard to believe. But that's what they're paid to do. When you're the athletic director, you got to put, put the ball in play and in motion, and no matter whether that ball bounces, no matter where it bounces, you got to be there – to pick it up and run to the next corner and run to the next corner and run to the next corner to interview the next guy. That's and I will also say this. I think a lot of another misperception that people are having is um, Luke Fickle was not hired by John Cunningham. Right. I think that people are just like, oh, well, John Cunningham, he did a great job with Luke. Maybe they just don't pay attention. But that wasn't a hire. He was hired man. by the guy at SC now. Bone, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so at the end of the day, this is a big, big hire for John Cunningham, who has been on a honeymoon run, quite frankly, right? And I would argue he's on a honeymoon run because of not guys he hired. Yeah. I'm not, this is nothing against Wes. I think Wes could be a great coach, but Wes hasn't done it yet. And this is the next big hire. You, you cannot miss if you're John Cunningham on this hire. No, you can't. So we'll okay. see what happens. Right, but I'll let you go. I know I held right, you too man. long. Enjoy but it. I got some more topics down the line here that um, I think are a big deal. Well, you've got the you've got the A, a the A crew over here. Casey, Brandon, Paul. Paul, are you going to sit down over there? Is that what you're doing? Well, Brandon needs to be here for a minute. So. Oh, okay. So you just stepped here, go. Okay. All right. All right, boys. Have a good day. See you tomorrow. You too, Tom. Fair enough. Thanks, Tom.